turns into yeah like that voila we are live jim did it jim did it <laughs> it was jim W237 drag on human being magic Kazba. Rock the Kazba. Rock the Kazba. I heard the tonight sheriff doesn't have, like this. Uh, tonight we have uh, author Richard Nat coming in to visit with us for a few minutes after the intro. Um, he was a writer in the Dragonlance uh, series. He uh, wrote uh, the Dragon Realm series. Uh, later on, ended up uh, apparently the uh, folks at Blizzard uh, thought... You know, he was as, impress as impressive as I did back then. And so they picked him up. And also uh, Warcraft. He wrote 10 books for the Warcraft series. 10 books. Excellent. That's that a prolific, prolific writer. That is prolific. And we so jump right in with the video intro? Yeah. Take the video off so that way we're ready when uh, he gets here. All right. Here we go. Here we go, folks. Here we go.
like our guest is in the waiting room. Very good. We can welcome them in. About two more minutes left on the intro video here. Getting close here to beginning. Let's see who's with us now. It's a gentle fade out. I was almost expecting a trick. It was uh, it was so uh, mellow tonight and nice. I, I, I was expecting to suddenly get blasted. There was no jump scares planned at all. I was waiting for it. So to tonight, and waiting for us here, uh, about to bring him in, is Richard Knack. Uh, many years ago, when uh, I'd hurt my back um, and spent some uh, time laid up, I went and grabbed some books because I knew I was going to be laid up for a while. So I grabbed about 20 books and one of them was Legend of Huma. And uh, that started me down the road of the fantasy genre and his books were absolutely phenomenal. Um, I loved the Dragon Realm series. And then coincidentally, the store that I usually went to, Uncle Hugo's in uh, Minneapolis, because that was a used bookstore and it was also Uncle Edgar's, which was mystery books. And it was used so I could go trade in my books, buy new books. Uh, absolutely awesome. And Richard would In case anybody can hear me, I can't hear anybody. You can't hear anybody? First time using this. Um, hmm. Um...
We can hear you. Let's see here. I think uh, Richard doesn't uh, have his uh, headphones quite set up yet. The sound test begins. Yeah. <laughs> so this is uh, this is Uncle Hugo's and Uncle Edgar Edgar's. It was always super interesting going to this. Because it's it's uh, actually uh, off of Lake Street in Chicago, down by the Children's Hospital in Minneapolis, which is a real rough area of town. And uh, there's no parking around that building. Nowhere that you can really pull in and park. There's nowhere you can pull in and park. Uh, so you're driving around in, in, in the real, real ghetto night rough neighborhood trying to find parking to go into a bookstore everybody's looking at you like you're nuts it's hilarious <laughs> a good bookstore is a pretty sweet thing you're lucky to yeah. be able to have that to go to that was my sound you really are your sound is good Perfect. I hear Balderson. I hear Jim. I hear S.B. Elger. I do hear I Richard Mac as well. Yeah, he just can't hear us yet. Okay. As far as I can tell. Keep speaking. Yeah, you have to choose speaker. The speaker. In audio. Yeah, I think you got to go to the three dots. I'm told to keep audio. speaking, but yeah, we do I hear, can hear you. I hear any of you, so I feel kind of silly speaking. All right. Thumbs <laughs> uh, up says we hear you. Everything looks like. Uh, I, for the life of me, cannot find why I can't hear you guys. Sounds good. Hmm. I'm glad. I'm glad you guys can hear me. Really, I am. But. Um, I'd say I'm glad to be here, but I don't think I'm quite here yet. So he's here, as in we can hear him. <laughs> so would it be uh, helpful to have him jump out and then mm. jump back in? That's 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 what I'm wondering. Hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I just typed that into the chat. Might be helpful, sh sure. It's probably a permissions issue. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Right. With a web browser. Oh, tell him the browsers. Okay, I've been suggested browsers. to leave and come back again. That's probably the best thing to do. I'll see you guys hopefully in a minute. Yeah. With, yes. Uh, Chrome web browser, too. Some <laughs> I said, uh, I'm super, I'm super excited about, uh, well, he can't even hear what we're saying. <laughs> I'm super so excited. We'll, nice hear what, well, hopefully this is just the, um, uh, 
the mysterious beginning of a wonderful time here. Um, but we've all had this issue. It just sucks when it happens to the feature oh, yeah. cast. You know, everybody's had the issue of it when I first came up to me. Um, I had to, I can't use Brave Brave browser, which I used to use. Does, doesn't work at all, huh? They changed a bunch of stuff Chrome. recently. Yeah, so your Chrome browser. Maybe we should tell him to use Chrome. Right, the official Chrome Google Firefox. Chrome. Chrome and Firefox okay. are the two that are supposed to work good with it. He's back. So he's in. back. Let him in. Here he is. Can you hear us, Richard? Right. Again, but I don't think anybody. We, we can hear you. Can hear anybody? So I'm just going to hear anybody. Oh, you can. I, I know you can hear me. I can see. <laughs> <laughs> but I still can't hear anybody. Hmm. Help me, Mr. Wizard. Hmm. I'll bet he could hear us through YouTube, but then there would be a 20 second no, delay. That won't work. Um, does he have other sound on his computer? Is his mic turned on? Yeah, it's not his mic. His mic's working. Just, he's not getting audio. Is he wearing yeah, headphones? He's not, yeah. Hmm. yeah so basically with being downtown like this pretty much i'd go down and i'd try and get a couple weeks worth of books and uh back then it was you know like paperbacks were like two bucks so i'd grab you know i'd grab about 10 12 books we guys just go and, on uh, having a nice show <laughs> <laughs> Someday I may show up. I mean, we could uh, we could offer to call him on the telephone. Um, I don't. That's not a solution to get him on the air, but it's a solution to possibly try troubleshooting steps. Oh, perhaps. And then he's popped out again. Someone's got a mechanical keyboard I can hear really well. That's me. Typing a novel tonight. Hey, come on. I was telling him to feel free to, to uh, talk about his release before we went. Before he went. Well, of, uh, that, that... Yeah, you could shoot him a message to say, if he's not able to hear us, that's okay. We can listen to his um, his bit that he's wanting to share with us. But a new yeah, I guess that's true. We don't have him come back and just just give him a spiel. He can just give his spiel on whatever. Yeah, yeah what Ben said, you know. So we'll see. If I'd he really like to, to be able to talk to him. Well, of course, I just <laughs> I was just trying to think of how the how we could troubleshoot. That's why I was thinking of a phone call. Yeah, if, you know, if Balderson calls browser. him, then he'd hear Balderson through the phone, and then he could broadcast the audio through his. Streamyard. Yeah, I don't. I don't got his personal phone number. I just uh, right. Facebook. I mean, that was. That's why I said it's just an idea because we don't know. You keep doing the please stand by thing, and then you know how long. There we go. There's no audio on it. The <laughs> please stand by, getting the sound test all figured out. You can imagine the music that. I, I think maybe apparently we're just gonna. Um, I'll, I'll message Richard throughout the week here and see if we can't remedy this. Yeah, yeah, we can uh, try. 
Sure. Yeah, so. it is. It's uncomfortable to try to do it live on the stream. So. Oh yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Man, we'll just make sure he knows that we're uh, really sad that uh, that it went this way, and that we really hope that we can resolve it and get him on another time because. This is like one of those anticlimax cliffhanger endings. <laughs> oh man, if people only knew, like the Dragon Realm series, um, the magic systems in that are absolutely uh, phenomenal. Oh, here he's back, and uh, oh, he's giving us one more chance. Oh, maybe it'll work. I out. can hear you. Oh, I can hear let's you. hope so. Yes. All right, you can hear us. Nice. We can hear you also. Welcome yeah. to Weaving Spiders. Welcome, Richard, and thank you so much for persevering with the technological difficulties because we were. I, tr I tried that old-fashioned suggestion: turn the turn the laptop off and turn it back on, then went in. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. Beautiful. Beautiful. I'm so glad. That one works. The old the trusty. All right. <laughs> so, I was telling everybody about uh, the the uh, the how hairy it is getting into Uncle Hugo's, which is uh, uh, I, I got lucky because when uh, after I'd read Legend of Huma, um, obviously Uncle Hugo's was there in Minneapolis, and I was able to have access to a lot of books. And you used to go in there quite a bit, and there was a lot of stories about you and what a uh, wonderful guy you were. And uh, but. To get sure into the building was hairy. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, to be honest, uh, two of my favorite writers at the time, uh, Raymond Feist also was uh, probably the, a real big writer at the time with his uh, uh, Rift War saga. And I'd heard nothing but bad things about meeting him. So it was very funny. Uh, everybody loved you that I'd ever uh, met. And I, like I said, I spent a lot of time in Uncle Hugo's. So... Um, my uh, it's, it's uh, let's see. My, my uh, father was tra was transferred up there uh, a long time ago for a, for his job, and so that's why I came up to uh, to Minneapolis quite a lot at that time. And uh, so I, I naturally always wanted to stop in Uncle Hugo's when I had a chance. Well, that's so, fantastic. That's that, that's it was always, fantastic. It was always a really good place, and I'm glad that they're functional again. It, it, it's amazing in today's days uh to have where everybody's bookstores is go, uh, going under to have something that's been around for so long still there and still fun yeah. and functioning like you said that's that's awesome um and i was also talking a little bit about uh uh the magic systems that uh you had written into your dragon realm series and that's one of the things that I found most fascinating when I was young. And we, I wanted to ask uh, what had inspired you? Uh, what type of studies did you do in the magical systems and whatnot to inspire you to make it the way you did in the Dragon Realm series? Well, I was just trying to figure out, you know, how magical necessarily be available to someone wherever they were and so i was trying to think of practical ways of people how they how people who are the uh wizards and such would would see the magic or instinct or instinctively feel it and so that's why I, one of the one of the ways that some see it and feel it is there's these lines of uh, 
basically power crisscrossing everything, you know, the entire world. And those who use magic, a lot of them will basically be able to tap into that without pretty much thinking after a, after a short while. Um, you can eat, you're either born with the ability or you can learn it, although it's harder to learn. But um, so a lot of them are born with the ability. And then it's to the varying degrees of how, of how well you are able to tap into it. Um, some others see it almost as a, as a, as a, um, a spectrum or a rainbow. And they can, and they're the ones who can tend to reach for what we'll call the, you know, darker aspects of it. Because you know, obviously the darker the energies, the darker, in a sense, the, the power you're using. So, but there, so there's a couple of different ways that I show that people use it in, in the series. Um, but the, the using the lines of force is, is the lines of energy is the more common one I, I, that I use in there. And there are a few other, awesome. there are a few other methods, a few other methods that I vaguely mentioned. So, like you know, there obviously there are different ways that people can and, and characters can draw on things. There's no one or two distinct ways. It, it often has to do with where you're from, what you are. Um, magic differs a little bit with the different races, for instance, in the world. Fantastic. Um, just like yeah, in that's reality. Awesome. That's, that's right, just like in reality, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you'll find the magic will use you. <laughs> yeah, I think we've all been yeah. in that situation at least one time where you're feeling like uh, circumstances beyond your control are uh, pushing you in a direction that you're uncertain of, at least, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. I took that to, to an extreme in one way. Um, I talk about the founding race in the Dragon Realm. I never give them their actual name. They're just called the founders of the founding race. Uh, they're from they're from who uh, every intelligent race has come from. Because basically they were um, doing magic gene splicing and stuff, and their their race was dying out. So they were test. They created all the thousands of little pocket worlds, and each pocket world has a different race in it. And every time that the, the, a race appears to be at a certain point, they would draw them into what is called the Dragon Realm now. And Unfortunately, each of these successive races has eventually failed, although remnants will be found here and there. And hu humans are descended from a sorcerer race called the Vrod, who are not really nice people for the most part, but especially when you meet some of the survivors. Um, but they've developed from them, and I'm not going to tell you who else is descended from the Vrod because that, you'd have to read the books. <laughs> no, that's perfect. I'm excited. I've never read one of your books yet, Richard, but I'm excited with uh, the buildup to this. To uh, I'm gonna, I, I might start where Ben started because he said that the legend of Huma treated him so good. And so, what are you working on currently? You got something that's just getting ready to come out, or I've got a couple of things that are there actually. Um, speaking of uh, Legend of Huma, Draglance is where my first published works came out. Although Fiery Drake, the first book in the Dragon Realm, was actually what it, what got me my Draglance work because it was one of my, my writing samples I showed them. Um, it was published a year after Huma, but um, you can, they no longer are publishing no, any novels or stories except Margaret Weiss Trishikman have managed to 
get a trilogy out for a separate publisher, but I don't have that option. Um, but but uh, I found out that the DMs Guild, where the Dragonlance setting is allowed for gaming, they actually allow uh, a certain amount of fiction in the gaming material. So I have just released with the help with these uh, working with alongside the Dragonlance Nexus team, uh, what I call the Journals of Kaz, the Lost Colony, which has a brand new Kaz the Minotaur story. Kaz the Minotaur is my most iconic creation the series, I like to think. Um, he, he was in Legend of Huma. He got his own novel after that called Kaz the Minotaur. And then he, re, and he reappeared in Land of the Minotaurs later on. He was also in a short story between Huma and Kaz called Kaz and the Dragon's Children. So basically, this new, this new um, project has a new short story that takes place right after the last time you saw him in Dragonlance and has a whole bunch of Minotaur material. So if you're a gamer who likes to use Minotaurs, there's a whole bunch of choices and, and things to read about. And then there's also an adventure that's related to the story. So that just came out through, and I said, it's only the DMs Guild, uh, either in PDF or hardcover. So um, so anybody who likes my dragon, let's really check that out. Awesome. And then I have coming soon the fourth novel. I write, all, in addition to epic fantasy, I write urban fantasy. And I have a series that takes place in the Roaring Twenties in Chicago, Prohibition. And essentially, it's St. George and the Dragon in Prohibition, Chicago, along cool. with some very old-fashioned sort of not-so-nice elves and other forces. Um, and it, 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 it was, I, I wrote the first book about 30 years into my career, and I've gotten my best reviews from that series all through of my whole career. So... And that'll be coming out probably around somewhere late in February. Yeah, that sounds great. I don't think that's I've ever read out. any urban, urban fantasy. So that's a twenties Chicago. Bring the Roaring Twenties back in the in the. I guess we're in the late twenties now. The second. 19, uh, let's see. It started out around the beginning of nineteen twenty-five, and I think I'm in the twenty late in the twenty-six now. So. Um, and yes, I managed to get a dragon in there too. It's not just St. George. The main character's named Nick Medea. He used to be St. George. And basically, he and the dragon are tied together now since he killed the darn thing. So it's, it, and it, think of it as the snarky devil whispering in her ear sort of character. <laughs> That's great. Uh, nice. And nice. Basically, well, basically what? Nick, and when Nick killed the dragon, he didn't know that he would, he would become the, the uh, um, guardian to the gate to fairy. Which is what the dragon was actually there for, and so basically, basically, um, not only was he bound to the gate, but the gate kept moving. Like for instance, it was way out in the Middle East uh, when he when he killed the dragon, and it kept drifting in sort of a random Western fashion until it got to Chicago, and just happened to be around 1871. And something happened that caused him to have to unleash the dragon. And that basically, that, so there's a big fire, which I think you've heard about. And essentially, the, in, the, in the process, the gate got stuck at the edge of Lake Michigan. Nobody can see it except magical people. But it's right there. And so he basically, he's been stuck since, eight, since around 1871 in Chicago. Horrible yeah, place to get stuck. 
this gate acting like a portal of some kind? Yeah, it, it basically, for the most part, you can go back and forth between it and ferry, although the idea is not to, for many people to go through because you don't want, because there's always people on both sides who want to do things that would be bad. It's not just the, it's not just the creatures of ferry you have to watch, although that's one of Nick's big things. He has to watch out for those more murky things that slip through and that try to secrete themselves in parts of Chicago. So he basically has to go hunting them. Uh, in the meantime, other other characters are trying to penetrate the gate back and forth. Some human, some on elf, for various reasons. Um, for instance, there's uh, there's the exiled king of fairy trying to retake over fairy, which uh, he was ousted by his queen. Uh, very very fun people. It's like and, Oberon. Uh, actually, yes, his name is Oberon. <laughs> so you can guess what his wife's name is. Uh, <laughs> Titania. Yeah, although everybody calls her her lady because if you if you mention Titania's name too often, she might just come and see what you want. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, see, now I'm getting tempted to choose this book instead of Legend of Humo. What was the title, Richard? Uh, first book was called Black City Saint. Okay, yeah. Black City Saint. Black City refers to uh, the fact that at the at, uh, at the uh, I think it was the 1893 Exposition. I'm trying to remember properly, but. The, uh, I forget the year at the moment. But, uh, Chicago they, World's uh, Fair? World's Fair, sorry. And oh. um, they they had put together this part of the city where everything was like white, you know, like, like plastered, like looked to make mm -hmm. it really nice. And so some of the yeah. some of the uh, some of the newspaper people got to saying, well, that basically referring to the untouched city as black, the black city because it wasn't so nice and pretty as this this artificial thing that they built. So that name, so that's one of the, the old nicknames for the city of Chicago, uh, in Chicago. And so basically, Saint, the first book is Black City Saint, and then Black City Demon. And when I, and in the demon I'm referring to is, is human, uh, or was anyway. I'm not going to mention who he is. Hmm. And then Black City Dragon, and the new one is called Black City Angel. And that'll and that's in progress, and, and it'll, be, it'll be out, uh, like I said, probably late in March. Hey, hey, it's gonna be February. It'll be March. Uh, so fun things. I've got a shapeshifter who can't shift because he doesn't have enough magic in here. So he looks like a big kind of Irish wolfhound wolf mix. But uh, and he and he loves he loves trying out human slang. Um, I've got uh, I've got uh, Clarice, who is actually the the latest reincarnation, I should say, of the princess that Nick saved when he was Saint George. But for some reason, she keeps getting reborn, and for some reason, he can never stop her from getting from dying. Strangely, which is explained in one of the books, mm -hmm. as if there would be an innocent reason for all that. You know? And as I said, there's there's a lot of elven characters, some on both sides. They're they're elves who have slipped through a long time and and made their homes in Chicago. Um, and there's a lot of other creatures from fairy who some, somehow get, are getting through, which is kind of being explained in the fourth book why that keep, keeps happening. Uh, nice. If, with any luck, I've got at least two other books in my head in terms of this series. Uh, so I'd be, and I've also put together one short collection of stories called Black City Tales. And those, they're, they're three short stories, but they're all going to be significant to the series somehow, um, especially the third one, which I won't mention the title of, but uh, let's just say there's a character who's 
who Nick thought he has gotten rid of twice, and he'll discover he hasn't yet. Nice. So what's your writing process like, Richard? I mean, this is prolific. I mean, I'm looking on Audible. I'm a I'm an audiobook junkie. And I mean, the list just goes on and on. And they said that you were participating in writing uh, fiction for the Warcraft series. I mean, do you do you type? Do you write with a pen pen and paper or oh you... god, no. I have a lousy handwriting. I'm a I'm a really bad left-handed person, let's put it that way. I'm left-handed uh, too. <laughs> But um, oh, side note: I was I've been on panels at conventions, and you could I, if, if, if there are five writers that you say four of them could be left-handed, which is yeah. goes against the average. <laughs> but interesting. Uh, anyway. Yeah, but anyway, um, I I was very glad. I actually took typing in high school because when I still had it, because I wanted to learn how to type. Because I, if I was writing on notepads only, I'd still be working on my second book or something. Uh, I have 63 novels out along with a lot of short fiction um, and also gaming wow. material. Um, I won't run out of ideas. I, I'd have to live to be 150 to run out of the ideas that I have in my head right now. So, But um, uh, about half the stuff, about half the novels are my stuff and the other half have been worked for hire, which is basically what I did for Warcraft, Dragonlance, Diablo, Conan, and Pathfinder and some other series. So I like I like playing in other people's worlds. I, I never, you know, I, as long as they they allow me to be able to contribute something to it, that's all I'm asking. Um, if I if they gave me a script and asked me to write it, I couldn't do that. Yeah, and, and they know that when when people have asked me to do stuff, they expect that I'm gonna uh, fill out their world a little bit more. But I don't always follow what they want true to their world, so that's always that. But yeah, I've written some 63 books. Not all of them are in audio. Uh, we're hoping to get more of them on there. Uh, the first book in the Dragon Realm is on there, but only the more recent couple are on there too. Um, my uh, my favorite narrator has been going through health situations, but uh, I, he's uh, hopefully going to be working on uh, the Black City stuff when he's better, so, because he, he we, we definitely want to get that out and then go and then go back to finishing up my Rex Draconis, which is. Which, if, if for those people like Dragonlance, Rex Draconis is basically my homage to Dragonlance with my own additions to a whole bunch of stuff there. So since I couldn't write Minotaurs for the longest time in Dragonlance, I have my own race of Minotaurs and Rex Draconis, along with a lot of other sort of Greek-style gods and other characters. And uh, lots of twists and turns. And Rex Draconis refers to the fact that even though there are gods, they are they have to be careful because if they depending on what they do, they have to answer to the King of Dragons, who's even bigger than them. So, and that's what actually the whole, the whole saga refers to. Um, the, the, the dragon has not been seen for a while, and there's a couple of gods trying to do things, um, which is basically going to cause havoc to the whole land that you see around there. And part of the reason is that some of them want to find what's apparently the only thing that can kill the King of Dragons. Whether or not mm. that's true, we'll find out. There's lots of lots of good spoilers. I mean, uh, not spoilers, but uh, teasers. It's uh, it's definitely uh, working me to towards. Uh, I might have to. I might have to just choose one on Audible before we get off the call here. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you do you Sorry. study a lot of? Uh, oh, go oh. ahead, go ahead, Ben. One Actually, of the things that I wanted to put in, and 
ask about and put in because uh, one of the fascinating things, and Rachel and I had been talking about the upcoming upcoming interview, and she had talked about necromancers and how much she had filled that out. And with Richard, um, where do you get uh, your inspiration? Because one of the things that I always found, like with the Cause the Minotaur uh, books, was that you gave a depth to something that nobody else had given. Like uh, you, uh, not quite humanized, but almost where you could recognize that as a, a another race with a lot of depth and intelligence and uh, different spiritualities and things. Where, where do you get a lot of that? And like I said, Rachel, uh, she had wanted to talk to you about some of your uh, more recent things and she had found the same thing in those. Well, a lot of times, especially where I use Kaz and Mentor as a good example, um, I often use either inhuman or slightly off human, maybe you'll call them, characters to emphasize certain traits, certain things that I, I either believe in or that I want to show and, and display for people. Um, obviously, Kaz himself is a very honorable character. And, um, and you know, that originally came from my idea when I read that, you know, we have the Knights of Salami in the Dragonlance world, and they're honorable. But then what I read about the Minotaurs at that time was basically, it was very tiny. It said, Minotaurs, they're monsters. And yet they have a code of honor and they have an empire. It's like, what's some really fancy, sophisticated monsters? So I thought about it and I thought, okay, well, they have a code of honor, but they're obviously not on a, on a, on a really good terms with something like the Knights. So I, how, how can I emphasize their way of, of their method of honor and compare and contrast it to what we would expect from a knight. And I wrote a short story in one of the very earliest tales collections called definitions of honor. Well, kind of a blunt title. Uh, and uh, I, I, I threw a knight and a minotaur together and showed how, while they have some things in common, other things are not in common in terms of, of honor. And that story work can't went over really well. And so when they asked me to do the Legend of Huma, I could not resist the idea because I always liked Minotaur, the Minotaur in the mythology. I could not resist using the Minotaur race more. And I thought, who is the, who is the least likely companion that I could give Huma? I know. I'll throw a Minotaur at him. And I, turned, and I threw him in there. And I show, showed that even though Huma is part of a, of a knighthood that's based on honor and everything here, the more you would see him and Kaz together... You, you see that the Minotaur has almost a, a, a really strong sense of honor that overwhelms what the knights have. And the knights so, and so, and the knights sometimes come up short or at least not as stark in, in their beliefs of honor as Kaz is. And then, and, in order, and then when I had the chance to do more with Kaz, I also showed that while certain aspects of the Minotaur's sense of honor is... Um, throughout most of their race, you get varying degrees on certain thing elements of it, depending on what minotaur you run into. And uh, you know, so that you know that this that sense that one in terms of characters like the the necromancers, which you mentioned, which by the way, Rex Draconis has necromancers too, both good and bad. Uh, I like to make a good necromancer because I was interested in how can you have a good necromancer. Well, he might have good reasons for what he does. 
You know, for instance, in, in, in Diablo, it's kind of a little bit easier because you have this thing that's pretty much called a balance that they're looking for. And some necromancers think that if you let too much darkness in, that's going to be too bad of a thing. And so they, they try to keep the balance toward the light, so to speak. Whereas other necromancers are like, no, you want to go the opposite direction because there's always these good things happening, you know. And so you get necromancers fighting necromancers. And in a sense, I, I expanded on that with Rex Draconis. Um, you know, many of the necromancers are in it for the darker aspects of things. But I've got my, my main necromancer. He's trying to do things for good reasons. You know, I never go into fully what they are, but um, you can depend on him. Let's put it this way. He is an ally. Um, and barring one thing from Diablo, which I did because I couldn't write any more Diablo stories, I had a talking skull named Humbart. With, my, with Zale, the necromancer in Diablo. Humbart was a little, you know, Humbart was kind of, you know, a little bit of uh, comic relief, although he gave some good things in there. Um, in in Drex Draconis, um, my necromancer has a mummified heart that he found in the ogre land because the ogre shamans, uh, they have this habit sometimes of, of uh, mummifying the heart of fallen foes and in this case, the spirit of this ancient soldier got stuck with the mummified heart so of, his, of his. And so he basically was stuck in a cave for hundreds and hundreds of years until the necromancer found him. And so he's basically the necromancer has been carrying the heart around. And he's discovered that if he puts it into the body of a recently deceased corpse, and it doesn't matter what it is, it could be human, elf, a donkey, the the ghost the the spirit can animate it and, and talk too. So one of the running things with this guy who was actually very helpful is that you know he he keeps going through different bodies, and there's at one point he's going like oh my god, I'm an ogre again, you know because he he would like to be human basically and, and or if nothing else a horse, but he keeps getting up in these bodies that are not to his liking. That's great. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Thank you for talking about that. Um, I did have a question about, well, do you play games? Do you play any of these games since you've gotten a chance to work on them? I, uh, play, I played a fair amount of Warcraft and some Dia and Diablo as well. Um, but since I was doing a lot of writing and also you know adding material into the uh, worlds themselves, I had to be careful uh, not to spend too much time in, in there because I, you know, writing is my life and my, my career. Um, so I never really got too far with my characters in those games. Um, but I did enjoy it. And, and I, I did have the benefit of having, you know, the, the best, the best copies of each of those games from Blizzard, for instance. So I was able to always go jump in and, and see the new areas and, and explore um, get a better feel for what I was writing about. Um, got to see some of my characters in the worlds too, which was nice. Um, and uh, before that, I had played various versions of D&D uh, &D before I ever started with uh, Dragonlance. So a couple characters in the Dragon Realm and, uh, and in my first Dragonlance stuff were actually tested out in games. Uh, where I saw, I wanted to see how well they worked, and then I realized, oh, I got to change this and that about a character. Um, so but, um, the gaming has fallen away. Um, I do keep up with a couple things. Um, in terms of the, the new CAS project, 
uh, I had to heavily rely on the Dragon's Nexus team for the reference material and the adventure stuff because I, I knew that I would have to look up a lot of stuff myself at this point. So um, telling stories is my main thing in life. Um, you know, and it, I cross over a lot with, into the gaming world with what I do. I enjoy learning about those gaming worlds, but overall it's telling a story, which is, which is my biggest passion. So along those lines, um, I mean, obviously World of Warcraft is going to be really appealing because it's that high fantasy realm. So what is it about Diablo that was so attractive? Because it's such a fascinating world and it has mm. I mean, such huge polarities coming together well, in the characters. Well, I like shadowy things. If you see my urban fantasy, you'll notice that a lot. My urban fantasy is <clears throat> much more shadowy than my epic fantasy. Um, for instance, if you look at Frostwing, which is about a guy being haunted in his dreams by a gargoyle, or a King of the Grey, which is basically if you ever seen something out of Corny Ride, it wasn't there, or if you or if you thought you saw something like those people who saw Loch Ness Monster Elvis, you might have seen the Grey, which are basically our imagination come into existence, and they want to be fully alive. Uh, so I like shadowy things, and Diablo gave me the chance to do that. And, Especially with the necromancers and stuff, um, that more of a gray area, and or or the 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 good person trying to do good in a very gray or dark area. Um, my um, like, if you see all my first couple of books, Legacy of Blood and Kingdom of Shadow, um, there's there I throw care I throw deep, pretty I throw fairly decent characters or all the morally gray, morally gray sometimes into situations where they end up well being the good guy for lack of there being a, good, a true good guy and them having to do what they can be to rectify the awful situation they're in and in kingdom in uh, legacy of blood the main character and his and his uh, couple of friends go go treasure hunting and, and, they, and they find a tomb of this warlord only to find out that, that the uh, the armor is um what we call possessed for lack of a better word and it basically takes it basically takes over, surrounds and takes over one character and makes him kill his friends, and then has him go marching off to find the person that's been wanting to kill since it, since the warlord was killed. And he's got to figure out how to stop himself from doing kind of this kind of stuff. And then other characters come in and try to help him who have their own agenda, and then his dead friends come in and try to help him too, because nobody. Somebody stays dead if properly in Diablo, you know that. <laughs> True. So and so I really like I really like to get shadowy stuff, and I do the shadowy stuff with the Black City Saint books too. Uh, going back to the urban fantasy, um, Nick is Nick is not the the best saint. Let's put it that way. Uh, he's a decently good guy, but he's very earthy compared to the Archangel Michael, who appears every now and then in the series, and who really annoys Nick because of, because of the way he is sometimes. Uh, Nick would just like to live quietly if he could and not be bothered by all the stuff that he has to deal with. But he has to deal with it, so he does. That's my uh, question. Are all of your protagonists heroes? Are they all on the good side? More or less. More or less. Um, I, there, are some characters who are, there are some characters who are very gray. Most of my characters are, are the type who they don't choose to be heroes. Some will do what some like Huma will do everything they can that they think is the right thing to do, 
and then we'll, regardless of the consequences, others are tossed into the situation. They're like very reluctant to have to go through this, but it's, it'll be like, well, otherwise I'm going to die. So I'll do this. And, and they're not really bad. You know, they would rather have the good things happen than the bad things. Uh, well, maybe the dragon wouldn't. Um, because he, the dragon is is um, oh, is a is a regular part of the cast in Black City Saint, uh, but he's he's just as likely to try to betray Nick as help him, and he's done it several times in the series. Um, and if he had his way, everything would burn. But yet he'll do good things, and he's not the worst thing you'll run into in the series. So, and he's always like I said, he's always making snarky remarks because he doesn't have much power for the most unless he's summoned out. And so he'll he'll be like always trying to chide Nick or trying to manipulate him uh, in his head, basically. So, um, so my characters, so my characters would be good overall, but there really is quite a range <laughs> in terms of that. Sure. And I want to ask you about your experiences being a, a general uh, game master, a dungeon master. Uh, do you do that often in the past, present, uh, future? To be honest, I was more a player. Okay. I I did uh, I did make a couple of short run things. Run, I mean, run a couple of short run game sort of things. They're really short. I preferred to uh, test out my characters in other people's settings, and I had a really good game master for a long time, a friend from school, and so I uh, you know he had things pretty much he had things very elaborate, so I didn't have to worry about that sort of thing setting. Um, when I when I created my stuff, it was usually for my my stories. Or if I was in somebody else's world, I tried to see how I, how I could best adapt things to a setting that they had, and whether was there anything I could add to that setting that they hadn't thought of that they would like to have, you know. So, um, so in terms of the gaming, I was more just I was more the player on the player side. Sounds like a collaborative world building. Your uh, DM was he the type that really wanted to punish player characters? Did he kill off a lot of player characters? And did you ever have a player character that you really loved that had to die because the dice just rolled that way? I wouldn't say he wanted to kill everybody, but he didn't always make it easy. <laughs> um, and um, there was a couple characters that I liked that I thought um, got killed unnecessarily. Um, uh, there, as opposed to, as opposed to that is uh, a couple of characters that, that, uh, some people made that the rest of the group has said, you know, this character has to go. <laughs> and we, <laughs> and, and we, we had this one guy who created this, created this character that was really annoying. And so uh -huh. he got killed and, and he was, he basically said he was going to create a character just like the one he just, that he just had. And we were uh -oh. like, you don't want this. So, so his character, so his character enters the game and uh, the DM says, there's some, there's this guy riding towards you. And, and we just, we, we kill the guy before he gets any closer. <laughs> <laughs> and so he basically got the, he got the idea that we didn't want to see that type of character again. <laughs> his best, his next character was much better. <laughs> Right, right. Some some feedback to provide to build a sandbox that all the players want to play well, in together. Yeah, it was a character that kept like making things more difficult for everybody else. Yeah, those characters are never very popular in life. Yeah, well, it, was, it was it was a group effort. Let me tell you. Sure. So did you so always? You had, you had... Go ahead, Jim. No, you go ahead, Jim. 
Oh, yeah. I was wondering if you always kind of had it as your dream or your goal to be a writer or did you fall into it? Well, I, I guess, yes, I would have to say it was. I'm always in my dream. But as soon as I was old enough to read, which I, I read for, I read fairly young, I started making up my own idea, stories in my head. At first, they were like, you know, if I read a book about this author, I would imagine things happening in that world. And then I, but then quickly I started going to making my own worlds, uh, but it just in my head. And then I, you know, I, I tried thinking of them in terms of comic books because I also like that, but I can't draw worth a darn. And I didn't know anybody else who could draw worth a darn. So I, all I could think was the word stuff. And so I started thinking of the ideas in terms of, uh, yeah, you know, just writing a story. Um, I didn't really get serious about it until I started into high school. Um, and as I, I took typing because I hated writing because my, my handwriting is awful. Um, and once I was able to start typing, then I started pounding away at stories. And it just was, it, it was such a wonderful thing to be able to do and to, uh, and to create things. Uh, Fire Drake was actually my first completed uh, novel. So I'm always pleased that that one got out there. You, you see my work at its earliest. Um, there was another novel, which unfortunately has been lost forever because not only was it not only was it saved on five and a quarter inch discs that I couldn't do anything with after a while, but the but the, the one paper copy I had somehow disappeared with some move, and I don't know. So it's like, and I could rewrite the whole damn thing, but I've got so many other things I want to write now. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's storytelling is, is <laughs> what I love. Yeah. Um, I just, I, you know, along with that question, um, it it just kind of adds to it. I've noticed that, you know, I, where a lot of people like complain about George R. R. Martin because they've waited so many years for a wins a winner. I've noticed in the fantasy genre, a lot of the standout authors in the last 10 years have come to, uh, uh, it would seem writer's block. You've got uh, Patrick Rothfuss. You've got uh, all kinds of guys like that uh, that uh, just all of a sudden stopped. Uh, do you have any idea why that would be and why you you don't have that, why you're still so prolific? I have no idea why that could be. I may get stuck briefly on something, but I either can come back to it or I'll work on something else that I have. I do admit some things have taken for a long time to get the sequels out to, but there are various reasons for that. Uh, one book I had, uh, which was intended to be the first in a trilogy, but was self-contained, um, that was stuck with the uh, with the, the publisher after they kind of closed up. Um, but I'm still planning on doing the second book uh, later this year, and that one finally. Uh, for the most part, um, the only thing that's slowing me down is life, uh, such, such as having a heart attack three years ago. Um, or um, the fact that I've got other projects going on. Um, I, can't, I, I cannot fathom not being able to write like that, uh, even if I was a gazillionaire, um, which I, I think sometimes when you when you get made a lot of money, all of a sudden sometimes you kind of relax a little bit maybe. I don't know. Um, but um, I, like I said, I, like I was saying before, I haven't – I would have to live to be 150 to get the current crop of stories in my head out. I mean, there are ser- there are single books and not in series that I would really like to write that I haven't even touched yet. Uh, urban fantasy, epic fantasy, you know. Um, but 
you know, but but like I said, I'm just I'm trying to finish up. Uh, I was going to write a second uh, after I finish this Rex Draconis saga that I got. I've got one more book left in that. I was going to do a second saga, but there were so many other side ideas that I thought that no, I think I'm just going to going to take the elements of that second saga and put them into the various single standalone books that I'm going to write about the same world. Because you know, this way I get I get what I wanted to get from that second saga in there, but I can spread out into the, the Rex Draconis world even more because I have a Minotaur Knight in that world that I want to do some stuff with, which is very contrasting. You know, he's he, you know he's he's his own people don't like him. He's trying to be something that humans don't like from him. So he's like basically the culmination of my my Minotaur Knight honor thing. From Dragonlance that spread direction of Conus and now is all gelled into one character who's really confused. So, <laughs> so how do you keep yourself from getting confused with all these details that you're developing and maintaining an internal consistency across your stories from the like the political systems, the magic systems, the the relationships of the characters, and then filling the plot holes to satisfy the readers? Well, surprisingly, a lot of that, even though my mind is kind of uh, mangled, um, surprisingly, I can recall a lot of the stuff I need to. Otherwise, I, I, I refer back to the books. I'll go read through previous stuff. I'll, um, I'll um, go through the, uh, the files so that I can look it up by word search, you know, on certain things. Um, and sometimes I'll realize, in fact, the things that happened um, in an older book that were just something that I thought was was only for that story, it turns out that, oh, it makes sense to something I developed later on. And I didn't realize it. You know, so so anything can come back. I mean, I, I in the first book, Fire Drake, we see an awful demonic sword called the Nameless for reasons that you find out later on. And at last time you see it, it's falling down into the depths of a cavern system. And I finally came back. That was that was written back. That was published back in 1989. I, I only like five, only like five years ago I, did I finally come back to the nameless and what has been brewing with that all this time. And it, it starts a whole chain of events. That ends up being a, tr a trilogy worth of books. So, so and yet somehow the stuff, you know, I, I'm more likely to remember stuff like this than I am everyday stuff. Yeah, I, it sounds I, like hyper, hyper creativity for sure. Like you've got the, I, I suffer with the, well, it's not always suffering, but I definitely have hyper creativity where I'm constantly, constantly having ideas and I, so I'll, I'll keep track of them, but I won't necessarily develop them into anything. I'll just get them out of my head if I like them enough, a musical idea or whatever. So maybe it's a left-handed thing, Richard. Could be. I like to think so. <laughs> do, do you feel that uh, this more gritty series that you're writing now and these more gritty things that you're working on where you're developing more of the what you would call the darker side of things – was a natural uh, progression uh, compared to you have some books on ogres and again uh, the minotaurs that we've been talking about quite a bit this evening where most people would consider those to be uh, on the dark side where you flushed you know fleshed out where they're 
not necessarily dark, just from your perspective, like in the uh, Legend of Huma books, while you would cons- while a lot of people would naturally consider the Minotaur dark, and then Huma's best friend is a mage, which was considered uh, evil by their standards. Then when you look at the behaviors of the knights around them, uh, most moralistic people would consider their behaviors more dark. So do you think this was a natural progression of uh, taking and fleshing out these creatures that people thought were so dark and not and showing that they aren't necessarily into the more gritty works? Yes. No, just kidding. Um, oh, yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of what, what you're saying there to that. Um, it just, it, but like I said, with me, it's just the way the story seemed to want to flow. Um I, I like I like to show that things aren't necessarily always what they seem, and that what you think is the the monster, so to speak, might not be the monster so much as the people you think you can trust. I mean, let's look at Legend of Huma. Um, let's take Renard, for instance, who is a, a very in, intriguing character in Huma. Um, you know, I think after all these years, I, I don't have to say spoiler, but. Let's just say Renard is not as as good a guy as you think he is, and yet he's not the worst a guy he could be. Um, we see what we see what happens with him in the human. And actually, I wrote a short story about his afterlife, um, which was which I thought, which I thought was a tree, his ghost basically, um, to show what his his fate has become. Um, and like I said, with the minute, I also want to show that. Uh, I, I got the idea even when I was working with the Knights of Salamia that they were a little bit too haughty to be as good as they're supposed to be sometimes from what I saw. I mean, look at the way they handled Look at the way they treated Sturm in the Chronicles. So I, I, bar, I took it from what Margaret and Tracy did and just took the logical step that, um, that while they do follow the codes, their idea of following the codes would differ a bit from, say, what you and I might think, and you and we would find ourselves more in tune with what Kaz, and of course Huma, who's more of a of, a, of an idealist, um, um, would do. And um, so that's where we, that's where you get the conflicts with with uh, the knighthood, and then you find out that some people in knighthood aren't even good, like Bernard turns out to be. Um, but I also show. I also do show there are other good knights too and stuff there. Um, but with other stories along the way, it just you know I I show there the characters that you often think are the ones that you can believe in. Um, you have to like see you know are what are what what is the truth behind their motivation sometimes? You know, is it is is it as crystal clear as you think it should be? Because uh, sometimes even the best best characters. Will um, will be discovered to have a side to them that is morally ambiguous at times, which I think is just more real. Um, unless it's a more simplistic sort of character, say a straightforward thinking character um, for for those who are Dragon Realm lovers, Dark Horse, who is very straightforward. He's a very powerful creature. And yet he's like a, he's like a child. We, we've recently been listening to audio book. We've recently been listening to the audio book because I haven't read that book since approximately 1980, you know, late 80s, um, yeah. you know, 89 yeah. or something when it, it was first out. 
and the audiobook they have uh Dark Horse has an Irish accent. Did you have any? Did you uh, put that in there? It cracks us up here. <laughs> no, I did not. But I, I, that doesn't that didn't surprise me that the narrator went that direction. Um, I mean, it didn't surprise me because um, there's just something about Dark Horse. I could see that when he when he when he went with that, I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but it, uh, Dark Horse is just a fun character to deal with, uh, even though he's very he's very loyal and very strong and gets into some hard, bad situations. But um, yeah, actually, that just adds another aspect to him, which I just think you know makes makes it seem like he's Dark Horse. You know, um, he's uh, he's one of my he's a favorite character of people in the saga, um, along with Shade, of course, um, who was who was one of my one of my first real uh, yin yang sort of let's look at the dark side and the and the light side at the same time sort of thing. <laughs> um, and um, I've always enjoyed using him. I've I've I've, I've kind of been a little kinder to Shade in the last couple of books, giving him some sort of advancement uh, to to his problem. So, um, but you'll you'll see that when you when you see those books, which are available in audio if you want to jump to that to that stuff. Those were the first two anyway: uh, Knights of the Frost and uh, Sword of Ghosts. Sort of ghosts. Sort of ghosts referring to the, the nameless, by the way. Um, oh, and by the way, for the, for those who have read the, the Dragon Realm, um, although I'm kind of I've kind of finished up with with the the Cape Bedlam sort of saga, um, I am going overseas with a sister saga called the Ravaged Empire, which is basically what's left of the the Wolf Raider Empire, which is in the midst of civil war right now. Because there's one faction that's even more strict than the one we know, um, and then there's also all kinds of old things and other things that are rising up now that there's nothing holding them back over there. And the main character is mostly going to be Morgus, the Blue Drake, who I left over there. So basically, anybody who has read the Drag Realm will be able to enjoy that. Anybody who hasn't read the Drag Realm can start fresh from there because I'll pretty, make it pretty much self-contained in that regard. Although you probably will end up seeing a couple of characters from the Dragon Realm. I mean, Dark Horse and Shade can get all over the place if they need to. You know, uh, not necessarily by choice. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that, that's, that's something I'm starting out with this year, too. I'm going to be writing a, a, a novella, a standalone novella first, uh, with, um, and then going into a novel l later on. Um, and I'll be, and I've got one novel that's coming up in that series called Vrod, which, and that me, and yes, you're going to see some Vrod in present day, um, former empire land. Um, some of the ones, and you'll recognize at least a couple of them from the, uh, um, origin books, uh, Shrouded Realm and Children of the Drake, because you, because some of the, some of these guys did not like the, uh, Tazerini, you know, Shades family, and they went elsewhere and, and some of them created the original Wolf Raider Empire elements, and uh, so, so, and then they hid for a long time. <laughs> our, our listeners are falling in love with your stories already, and we want to direct them to a place to find the stories. Is there a specific store or retailer or website? And then maybe is there a book that you say start with this one? Well, if you go to Richard Allen Nack Allen A L L E N com, that's all like one word in there. Um, if you go to my if you go to my store page, 
you can you can follow a lot. You can, there's a lot of links to click there, um, and of course, and it's for Amazon. You know, obviously, I have an Amazon associates thing. So if you click through there and buy anything, obviously, uh, I get a little yeah. bit more royalty there. Um, my recommendation is that if you like urban fantasy, start at Black City Saint. That's that's the best choice I can make. As I said, I've got my best reviews on that series. Uh, if you want to do my epic fantasy, there's two places that I would tell you to start. One is obviously Fire Drake. If you want to follow the Dragon Realm, that's how, that's the most logical place. You can find that in the first Dragon Realm omnibus, um, and that and uh, that all those all those links, most of those links should be active. I'd have to double check that again. Um, and Rex Draconis, um, originally it was the first two books were were under the Dragon Moon and Lords of the Dragon Moon, which are two short novels about the size of one novel together. And you can find those separately on audio, but in terms of uh, e in terms of paper, um, you can find them both under Rise of the Dragon Moon. So you got a choice of either two two audio books or one one regular book in that regard. And that'll give you the first two. Those are the kind of introductory novels that lead into the, the whole epic saga. I mean, they build, you know, what, what happens there builds up into Shadows of the Dragon Moon, Of Dragon's Blood, War of the Dragon Moon, and the last book is going to be called Gods of the Dragon Moon. Because, yes, my, I got gods all over the place here in that place. Um, so, yeah. So, so either start with the first books in the, in, in the Dragon Realm and Rex Draconis if you like epic, or start with uh, Black City Saint for the uh, urban fantasy. And there's some standalones if you want to check out them too. Uh, King of the Grey and Frostwing are always good to check out in terms of urban fantasy. Um, Dragon Mound is a good temporarily standalone or epic fantasy, more shadowy than than Rex Draconis or Dragon Realm. It's uh, more of my um, let's put it this way: I used to like Faffer and the Grey Mauser for those people who are who read ancient stuff by Fritz Leiber, <laughs> um, but it's a lot more shadowy. Um, and if people like Diablo sort of stuff would probably like that too. In fact, um, if you want to, you know, of course, if you want to read any of the books I did for other people, then I would definitely say, you know, check out uh, my first um, Legacy of Blood and Kingdom of Shadow for the Diablo series. And um, although it's not, and, and then the War of the Ancients is my is my best stuff, I think, for uh, Warcraft. Although you probably should read Day of the Dragon before that, just to because some of the characters from there go into War of the Ancients. Sorry, I got a little carried away there, Paul. No, that's a perfect answer. And uh, you're talking oh, Warcraft. That's uh, the computer role-playing game, uh, strategy game from Blizzard Entertainment. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can find yeah, And I, I have links to those in there, too, for the most part. Uh, sometimes they change the, they, they change the links on me, and I don't know it. So if there's a couple that don't work, it's, it's not because I don't try to keep track. It's because it's Amazon suddenly goes, oh no, this is the new, this is the link you need now. It's like what? Oh, gotcha. But, uh, I've got the vast majority of, I and mean, I even got some of the, uh, um, I think I got some of the audio stuff, even with links there too. So, um, I, um, I've, I've, for the most part, I've got one good, really good narrator who's done a lot of my work, um, uh, jo uh, Joshua Saxon. Um, he's the one. He's having health right. And um, the other stuff from, for instance, um, Warcraft, uh, from Warcraft and Diablo, um, they, 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 of course, picked their own narrator, so I have no idea who's there. So. And when it comes to the editing process and, like, the, the final manuscript, have you been um, 
part of that process or is it sort of like uh, write the book and then ship it out and start on the next one? Um, well, obviously we're talking about the, the stories for other people like Warcraft and Diablo. Uh, right, and they give you a story Bible and they kind of have a general outline. How does that work? Um, well, for the most part, they would give me an idea that they wanted to be written about. Um, and then I would come up with the storyline based on that, uh, based on whatever that, that subject was. And they would uh, okay or the storyline or tell me to change things. And then I would start writing the uh, the novel. Often I would send them the chapters as I write them, and they would re go through them. And uh, sometimes they would come back and tell me, hey, can you change all this? Because we decided to do this all of a sudden in the game. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, I understand that sort of thing, though. But right. Was, the marketing came back and said last minute, the uh, focus test said, we want this character to be the, the hero or the, or, the or, cover. Or, they just totally decided to go in some new direction. And so okay. they have to change. So some element has suddenly changed in the entire story. So, but that, that's, that's the things you get to, you have to get into. So, um, but, but overall I had a lot of, uh, I was able to, to um, add to the worlds that I was in because that's what I, I, that's what they wanted from me to do. I was able to adjust things that they wanted me to. Um, I had a lot of say. I'm sorry. Keep going. We had a little echo. Oh, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I had a lot of say in most of the stuff I worked on. Yeah. So with the few more minutes we have with you tonight, uh, I guess my question would be, you've been, you've been in other interviews. Is there something that you've always wanted to share, but no one's gotten the question they haven't asked you yet. So what's, what's the one thing that you wanted to share that you wish people would have asked you about? I really can't think of anything actually. People have been pretty good about asking all kinds of stuff. And if it's anything really private, I don't want to share it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> have you, uh, have you on a personal note ever uh, tried to get into any of the secret societies or learned any of the more traditional magic systems um, or was everything that you were picking up? Uh, where were you picking up some of these ideas for the things that you were doing? I was either picking up from things that I've read previously and then tried to adjust to my personal tastes or my personal beliefs in them, or I, there were things that I would, would, would question myself based on what I thought made a, a certain logic. You know, if, if I thought that this would, would be the way it should probably be, then, you know, why would I want it, why would it be that way? And I would follow through on that and see, see what I came up with then. That's, that's probably the best way to, to answer it. One of our Very viewers nice. reminded us that we do have kind of a silly question we like to ask. You don't have to answer it, but we kind of, we, we kind of have this uh, idea in America, kind of being a Christian nation, and everything sort of like the satanic panic pushes back, good versus evil, kind of through that lens. So we just like to ask, you know, what is your favorite Christian band? I don't think I know. <laughs> I just was good to answer. It. Yeah, that's good answer. If you, that's it's it's just the, the right, corny the band question. <laughs> the Righteous Brothers. Okay, that's a great answer. That sounds Christian. Yeah, <laughs> I am essentially Christian, but I really don't pay attention to, to what music I'm listening. I just listen to songs I like. Right. Right. Do you listen to music while you're writing at all? Um. No. Oddly enough, I mean, I have in the past. If I do, it's probably going to be a Danny Elfman score. Uh, oh yeah. Um, 
I, 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 I didn't, oddly enough, I never liked Oingo Boingo, but I like his, I love his, 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 his movie scores. I've got the, I've got Batman stuff. I've got Nightmare Before Christmas. I got a bunch of Danny Elfman stuff. Uh, um, but um, for the most part, I haven't been listening to music much lately um, because here, here's the weird thing. Yeah, I'm mostly I'm listening to white noise in the form of noise at the at the restaurant where I do a lot of my writing. I go to lunch at a, I go to lunch at one of the local areas here. Um, it's a it's a it's actually a chain, but I won't mention what it is. Um, but I, this I go there. I, I eat my my lunch. I write for about two and a half hours in the booth. They know me well at this place, and I get more work done than I do at home. Awesome. It's just for some reason I got I got a perfect focus there, and I get I can get like sometimes I've got a whole day's worth of work done in there. So, uh, so that's so I basically listen to little things that mean no have no consequence to me in the background. We like to talk about magic and maybe synchronicity and sort of the. Ooh, have you had any weird dreams that have been influenced by your writing and vice versa and sort of like altered your reality? Based off of the themes and the concepts that you're working on through your story, no, my dreams, oddly enough, are either just plain weird or boring. I, I they, they have they had no real effect on my on my writing, which is which you would think they would, but I cannot remember one dream seriously that has had any effect like that. Um, huh. And I've heard other authors, I've heard other authors talk about their dreams, and I'm like, what's wrong with me? Why am I dreaming like this? My dreams are all stupid. Uh, just the mundane, boring dreams, and your real active imagination is just kind of. Well, they can not... be weird sometimes, but they're not weird in the way that helps me with my writing at all. Okay. <laughs> and that's the, the the muses, the idea of the muses, um, <laughs> divine feedback, this type of stuff. If, if if my muses are trying to talk to me in my dreams, they've probably been drinking first or something. Because they're not really coming through. <laughs> they are definitely off when I'm dreaming. Sure. Oh, that's good. Oh, we we greatly appreciate you giving us your time, brother. And uh, this was just a, this was awesome. Somebody saying something. I thought somebody was still saying something. I apologize. Um, oh no, we did, we're just thanking you for uh, for a great uh, time to come and visit and share with us. Really insightful stuff, and um, appreciate that Ben was able to find you. It sounded like he made a comment on a forum, and you guys were able to get in touch. So that's nice serendipity. We kind of have like like Alan said, we do have a focus on the show of you know synchronicity, magical woo woo, kind of on the fringes things, <laughs> and so. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry it's, it's about the I'm sorry great. about the trouble we had at the beginning there. I'm glad I turned the the laptop off and turned it on again. No, we were really you. glad too, and, and we're really uh, casual and laid back. So, and 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 um, once I was on there, I was I was able to stretch more time in there than I figured I would be able to. So, I was glad to talk to you guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, make make sure everybody goes out and buys the the journals of Kaz the Minotaur and um, Black City Saint and anything else I've talked about tonight. It's mandatory. That's right. That's right. It's it's mandatory. That. That's right. You're, you have to buy at least one book if you're listening. That's the rule. Two is preferable, but if all you can afford for tonight is one, then please get that sale in before midnight. And if you want the if you want the Kaz project, you got to go to DMs Guild. Okay. One of the places yep. available. 
We'll get that link. That's an exclusive exclusive at DMs Guild. Okay. Yeah, awesome. type it. Yeah, I've um, I put DMsGuild.com. I see it here for the Lost Colony Journals yeah. of Chasm Minotaur. Yeah, like I say it's, it's it's that's the only way I'm able to write these stories is 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 to produce it through that that site because they have the uh, control over the over the Dragonlance setting. That's fine. I'm just doing mm-hmm. work for hire for that series, so it's just the same thing to me right now. But it's still going over very nicely. I'm happy to say so. So I'll, I'll be doing some more stuff. Uh, I will. Oh, we love to hear that. Thank Very you. Very nice. Thank you again we'll for having me. To it. Thank you again for okay. having me. And, yeah, thanks uh, for coming. Have a great night, Richard. No, you take care, guys. Bye bye. Yep. Thank bye. you. Thank you, Richard. Wow. wow, that was cool. That was, <laughs> that was cool. cool. Good idea, Balderson. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I couldn't believe it. Like I said, when he answered me on the on the thing, you know, I had uh, I was just making a comment. You know, it was like an anniversary of Legend of Humor or something, and I made a comment, and he responded. I was like, "Well, shit! As long as you're saying something to me, you know, let's uh, you know, let's get together." Like, uh, that, that's that's real awesome. And I've read uh, I've been reading his books since the '80s, so that's that's amazing. Hmm. It's nice to see a really prolific, uh, creative type who's, uh, I mean, he, stay, he said he started as a kid, you know, like falling in love with the idea of world creation. And he and he seems like he's just in a really casual way been able to pull it off to the maximum, you know, just writing reams and reams of amazing books, working for hire and just, make, you know, go sit in the restaurant and the cook is making some pancakes and you're making a dragon. <laughs> out, in, out in the booth, you know. Yeah, just a sticking. It's so much the that. opposite of kids today who are so media and uh, uh, entertainment flooded that they don't have any of their own imagination or ideas. Like when I was a kid, your parents tell you to go outside. You know, was there a pile of sticks? Was there a pile of leaves? Was there freaking? some damn water and something you could possibly turn into a boat or at least pretend like it did until you fell in it 12 times. Like, you know, you had all kinds of imagination and it seems like anymore uh, kids don't have that. And to hear somebody talk about this and then, like you said, be so, so very prolific. That's amazing. It is, it is rough. Like I remember growing up, you know, in the nineties and some of the only images that you would have would be the front of the book. You know, that's the only thing you had. Maybe the artist would get somebody to do one or two illustrations, depending on the type of book that you're reading. <laughs> or even even for games, we were talking about Warcraft 2, you know, back in the day when all the lore, all the stuff would come in a book. And, you know, other than that, you're looking at pixels. And the rest of your imagination has to fill in a lot of space. You know, you, you have maybe a few illustrations for some stuff but when lord of the rings came out i haven't read those books so i start reading them do you know how hard it is not to picture actors oh that's the a problem movies. that's yeah. not fair right <laughs> unless it's legolas right <laughs> well let's let's talk about the actor who played legolas i all the all the girls in my youth group had his poster on their ceiling above their bed <laughs> And yeah, they were allowed to do that on the cover of their trapper keeper. <laughs> <laughs> Something about that long blonde hair. You can walk on snow. How do you mm-hmm. not like that? 
there had been the animated films previously. Yes. yes. Uh, those, yeah. those were fun. Those were fun. And then when the Lord of the Rings, f- the first film released, that was kind of a, a big deal. And then between the first film and the second film, it's like, oh, you need to go to the theater to see this event. Yeah. It's like a once-in-a-lifetime event. Yeah. There was so much marketing and hype built up on that old story. But it was epic. For me, Having yes. not having read those books, yes. it was like seeing Warcraft on screen. I was like, oh, elves, right. orcs, sweet. Like, you know, so that there was a whole other dimension for it. They're, they tapped into a whole other genre of people by making those movies because those books inspired so much fantasy. So it was it was fun to hear Richard talk about, you know, working with Blizzard and on those projects because his books, obviously, I, I wanted to ask him about some of the races like the Torrens, like that's as close as you can get to a Minotaur in, in World of Warcraft. I mean, they're giant cows. So... You know, right. I wanted to ask about, you know, if he thought that, you know, those things were close in their honor system. You know, the games make them, you know, everybody has kind of a culture they reflect. So they they end up being very mm-hmm. uh, Native American, but, you know, shamanistic and, and things to that nature. So it's interesting. Yeah, and with some of the, I don't know if even the modern version of Dungeons and Dragons uses the word race anymore. Mm-hmm. Some of that stuff has, has uh, changed cultural shiftings, Overton windows opening and closing this type of thing. I didn't want to really get into the, the controversy of recasting characters, changing gender, that sort of thing. I don't think that was really important to get into. I no. think the, the benefit of having the Lord of the Rings open up, the world of fantasy uh chronicles of narnia also yes. kind of released after that this whole idea of a fantasy world that isn't um it's not so fantastic that it doesn't resemble the real world because there is a, an internal logical consistency maybe a karmic sort of system and basic terms if you do something wrong, there will be consequences. If you do something right, there will be consequences. So every action has a consequence. And in a, a live action role play setting or a tabletop Dungeons and Dragons pen and paper setting, to be able to explore decision making and then in kind of real time get that feedback from your friends playing their characters is kind of a fun experience. And I think everyone should should have the opportunity to try at least once in their lifetime. Agreed. Agreed. I think it's fun. So the only uh, only book in that kind of genre I can think of that had that kind of gender-bending uh, connotation in it, um, Melanie Ron who wrote the Sunrunner's Fire. It was like uh, six books, Sky Bowl, Sunrunner's Fire, uh, a few others. Um, That series, I believe it was six books, was super popular back in the day. Um, And then she did another series, and I don't remember the name of the series, but the last book, it was supposed to be three a trilogy. The last one was going to be Capitals Tower, and that never came out, and... uh, that particular series, it had a whole lot of uh, gender twisting ideas in it. 
Um, had some had some other things in there. One of the mm -hmm. things I remember was very interesting was they were trying to use children's rhymes to figure out some secret, and they were using old children's rhymes. That was very fascinating. But I I don't think it went over well. And I mean, this is in the nineties. Mm -hmm. You know those. Uh, you know that's when Andrew guys like Andrew Dice Clay are still out there and. Um, very angry against homosexuality and things like that. So, uh, you know, it was, that did not go over well at all in the, in that time period. Yeah. In terms of, uh, the specific brand of Dungeons and Dragons who releases the player's manual and the DM manual and the monster manual and the book of the spells. And then they have the campaigns laid out for you to go through. So you're not as a player, or as a uh, game master or dungeon master, having to come up with every detail on your own. There's a there's a basic framework for you to get started, and then you can begin to explore what's happened between like the 3.5 edition to version five or six. There's been changes. Uh, some have added more technology, where you might have an app on your phone to keep track of your character. You might have a an application that will simulate die roll for you. So I guess it's really up to the players to determine if they want to go all analog and only use pencil and paper and dice and then get away from any sort of technology. Some, some people like to have music playing in the background for the dungeon scene or the monster encounter. They like to get more theatrical with it. It's really up to the player. And that's where a person's creativity and imagination really comes to life in trying to figure out well what what do i like about this what what are my preferences and then you can really suit it to your group so to have a small play group maybe three or four players best friends building a world together going on adventures that's a quick way to make friends for life or enemies if you kill the, the player characters and then people get angry about <laughs> what happens at the table play it before it gets in the game Riding up in his horse. Yeah, I, I can admit to playing pen and paper with some friends, and my um, I made I made an annoying character. <laughs> no, uh, I, I I made an annoying character whose uh, magic <laughs> ability was uh, kind of gender bending, so it could appear as male or female, sort of as this androgynous character. That would, and they're like, "Why you do we hate this?" But then the thing was, you did, you did things to get under somebody's skin. I don't even oh, believe that. Yeah, go figure. So, right, and they were they were pushing back, and my guy was just sort of freewheeling, didn't care about life or death, and would like open, unlock doors, and then slam them behind them, and then separate from the group, and then end up facing a room full of monsters and then dying and then they have to like we're dragging your corpse back we're dragging your corpse back i think at some point they finally just decided to graft my character onto the boss and then kill them both <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> i've never played it was called game. uh i never played it either i just didn't uh I've had opportunities I didn't to play, see but, you know, not enough time. It takes a lot of setup, and yeah. and then life happens. <laughs> I'd be, I'd be again. game. <laughs> That'd be game to play. Mm -hmm. 
Do people play it online? Yes, for for adults now. If you got a bit of coin, you can throw some cash at a professional dungeon master, and then they'll be ready to go. So there are ways for adults to have a quick PlayStation. Might take two or three hours on a Friday night or Saturday, Monday or Tuesday. You know, well, whenever that. Pretty busy. Sure. Yeah. So we wouldn't schedule something for a Saturday. Yeah, I was I was doing this thing called getting my pee pee touched. So I mean, we could roll the dice. Do it live. <laughs> I mean, do it live. Dungeons and Dragons, not when you get your pee pee touched. But then, how many you got? Seven get your pee pee touched live. <laughs> yeah, I got. It's a good. different kind of website, yeah. I think. Yeah. So I mean, the people need to put in the balance. I'm not saying one or the other is better, but. <laughs> <laughs> if you look like the guy that just flashed on the screen, your chances of ending up with seven uh, progeny is lower. <laughs> I, I did so like. I want to compliment Alan for uh, resisting flashing anything on the screen while Richard was with us. I know it was hard. You probably don't it get it hard. Right, the situation's often enough. It's like I got the, the slide ready. To sneak it in there, like I have ready. Club, like one frame was yep. there and you resisted yep. good job or you did it so fast we didn't see it so either way good job didn't see it <laughs> oh yeah that was a good one we got a bunch of these ready to go these are the fundamentals of memetics i think that with um i guess hyperstition and the idea that through storytelling and assuming a role in a story that enacts a magical process to deal with stuff that you're trying to face and to be able to creatively problem solve it in a, a quote unquote fantasy realm can be used for personal development to figure things out kind of in a, in a safe way, in a safe setting to figure out, well, how do I slay my dragon literally, metaphorically? How do I get my pee pee touched? Maybe I don't want that. How do I consent? That sort of thing. You said hyperstition, and it made me imagine uh, Zachariah Stitchin as an ADHD child. <laughs> his, his stepdad's like, dude, if you mention aliens or rock drawings one more time, one more time. Nifla. Well, you know, please use the correct pronunciation of Nephila. Thank you. Uh, on, a, on a slightly serious personal confession, I think I, I did a few times use video games intentionally to be a source of anger management. Like, I, you know, people are like, put your pillow, scream into the pillow. Like, I'm in a house of, you know, other other people. This is not. Rachel doesn't punch pillows. I don't punch pillows. <laughs> I tend to slay demons, and it makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> I mean, that's a good theory, but if you really go into that practice, you have to feel completely safe and comfortable, or it doesn't work, because then you're naturally subconsciously holding back. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Headphones gonna, are I can't <laughs> scream at the top of my lungs. I sang yeah. heavy metal most of my life. So if I decide I'm going to vent my rage, the police are going to come. Yeah, I'm gonna go knock on all my neighbors' doors and be like, "Guys, I gotta scream," you know. But I do sing along really loud with the music, and that's uh -huh. considered normal in our society, so that's okay. But if I just decide to start screaming the word "fuck" as loud as I can, it's gonna make people scared. 
Yeah, there's there's some the first time Christy did DMT. She sat there in the yard because she she and screamed, it hurts, it hurts, because she was trying not to trip. And my buddy Steve just looks down and he goes, I'm gonna go talk to the neighbors. Yeah, smart, smart guy. One time the, the cops came in College Place, which is a tiny little place next to Walla Walla. It's a weird Adventist community. And um my uh my older daughter didn't want to fall asleep or go to bed. So I took her out in the backyard and we were playing at night and running around. And she started roaring, so I started roaring back, and then she roared louder, and I roared louder, and then I, I heard it echo, and I thought, fuck. And so we just, like, <laughs> chilled out, and the cops came, and I told them what was up. Like, it's all good, bro. We were just, like, trying to blow off steam because she's, you know, it's like 11 o'clock at night, and there's no evidence of being able to rest, let alone sleep. Like, she couldn't lay down <laughs> and hold still. So I was trying to help her out, you know, but then as soon as I heard the echo, I'm like, oh, man, little kid screaming, yeah. me screaming. That's not good. That's not good. Somebody's definitely going to just in case make sure like, well, we better call the police just in case that little child is being attacked. Yeah. Last spring, they threatened our neighbors threatened the cops on us because Henry drove in the springtime. The peacocks get ornery. And they and peacocks. Henry ran off one of the other peacocks, mm-hmm. and they make this weird sound, and they go, "Hell, hell, hell!" And so the neighbors are like, "There's some lady out in the woods calling for help. We're gonna call the police." <laughs> right? Oh, no. no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's just like uh, to me. How could you not know that noise? It's like the most peacock noise there is. Oh, Rachel. Don't. <laughs> Rachel can do it. Rachel could do it. Yeah, I don't doubt yeah, that Rachel could do it. It's amazing. It has a strong connection to birds. It makes me think of Pioneer Park. In Walla Walla, they have some beautiful peacocks in the enclosure. They have an aviary at the park. And that sound just makes me imagine being at Pioneer Park. Oh, yeah. It was, well, we were talking about getting some peacocks or maybe some swans or something. And it's like, okay. We, we should really put them at the shop because the neighbors are hearing goats most of the day, which is, ah! you know, it's like blood curdling, you know, awful, awful sound. Or they can hear peacocks, you know, just way nicer. How do they sound? <laughs> hey guys, you know, you're going to get your only chance, listeners. You will never hear this again. <laughs> that was good. And that's it. That yeah. was impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, which which of the two things would you prefer? <laughs> well, I want both. Do it. <laughs> I'm in a valley, and I'm at the head of the valley. And so, when we first moved here, the fucking goats figured out, and it was just a young one that figured it out first. And he screamed and screamed down the valley, and then, of course, it echoed down the valley. And he just sat there for like eight fucking hours straight, just ah! Ah! yeah, of course. Ah! Like, oh, damn it. <laughs> like, why? Yeah, one hour. 46 minutes. Balderson. <laughs> ben screams like a goat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to get back to this. I, to go, I got the truck out and every 
everything just like the goats do. They it do was it. perfect. I mean, you, you've obviously been around goats. <laughs> <laughs> that was for the like, dude, when you were fighting each other at Walmart. I mean, I want to clip yeah. that so yeah, that's, that's all it is. It, now, who's in charge of the channel? I think Jim and Alan have access, so you can go clip just any little piece if you're the channel Don't owner. Don't tell everyone. <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, just that is that's one of the most what i really want is an the oldest cell phone that has a monitor and a loudspeaker and that's uh -huh. all that's on it you push any button and it comes on and it's been yelling like a goat and then it stops and if you touch it again it happens again this is the product i want <laughs> make it so Do you apparently i cough for pressing the button Everybody, everybody that doesn't know, Sarah G's been at my house for a, for a few months, and she's apparently decided I also cough like a goat. Well, in, in uh, your goat's defense, they smoke like a Balderson. So. Yeah, yeah, I do that video. Okay. And when they're horny, oh my god, you're taking a nap. You just want to mm -hmm. die. You're like, would you shut up, you motherfuckers? <laughs> oh, the one question I missed, I was going to ask him uh, whether or not he ever had a real struggle with um, knowing that he had to kill a character or put him in a weird situation. You know, that's the, I was glad that we got so many of the creative side questions in because, you know, I mean, <laughs> I've been writing my whole life, but I've never really successfully composed any story to my satisfaction from beginning, middle and end. So it's nice when you can pick somebody's brain who's like, yeah, I can actually write your story for money, right? Like, I mean, that's exceptional, high-level professional talent. Yeah. So, you know, we've already got a world developed. We, you know, it's not easy. Jim's sculpting. Sean, I need you. I need to hire you. You need to make the wings. Like, boy, I don't know if that's going to work, bro. <laughs> I don't know if my wings are going to look like your sculpture. You know, it would be challenging to do something like that. So, well, no different than getting half a tattoo and then having somebody else try to finish it. That don't happen. Oh, yeah. Now, that would be a great uh, YouTube channel where we pay for the tattoos big time money. And we get really high end artists. But the deal is, this guy does 50%. And now we're taking you to the next guy who we think can match his work. And he does 50%. They cut him right down the middle. It can't be subtle, jagged line. Right down the middle. You know, uh, right. So it's not yeah. like someone does the outlines and the other person does the coloring? No, because any artist that's worth the salt can, can solve that problem. Now, you're going to be able to sure. tell if you have a discerning eye. Okay. But you're going to definitely be able to, like, you can look and see, like, oh, no, the flowers were done by somebody else. But if you have to actually match their work 50-50, it would be 50-50. Yeah, yeah. It'd be hard. That'd be rough. <laughs> yeah. Most of the guys would just tell you no. He's like, dude, we're going to pay you. And everybody, there's, we're, signing, we're signing off on this. Everybody is above board and signed off. No surprises. They can't come back and complain. You get the money, and however it turns out, they either have to pay for the laser removal or keep it. <laughs> I used to play a game like that, a drawing game, where you fold a piece of paper into four sections. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everybody's got a section. You draw something in your section, then pass it to someone else, and they connect the lines up from their section to your section. I remember, yeah. Paper goes around, and you have this incredible piece of it uh, really looks good yeah artwork that just uh oh, i just wow. found something on my uh pixart app jim um they added an ai feature where you can put your picture you know drag your picture into the editor 
and then you can grab the corners and expand it and it will populate the empty space oh, yes. with whatever it thinks is in the picture. So I took oh. a picture of my dogs in the front window looking at us like, what are you guys doing? And I expanded it. And so now there's this weird table and a plant and a front door and a walkway. It's like, where is this place? You oh, know, cool. Is, so that's pretty weird. That's pretty far out. You, you should know? upload it to the Weaving Spiders <clears throat> Welcome Web. Oh, not a bad you. idea. We do have a Welcome Web. I think um, people need to request to join i think a little housekeeping we had four requests but they're all women with russian names so i don't know if they're all nice not. Uh, uh, kira nice. kurakova sofia kabanina elena osmanina alexandra krusanova did i get those names right if you're listening to the stream shout us out and then we'll let you into the welcome web we do have a lot of um People who have opportunities for cryptocurrencies and other things on Telegram. So if you're wondering if there's any, uh, uh, what was it, greetings, Patriot? Or what, what was uh, the Balderson going around with the Patriot? Uh, <laughs> Telegram. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck. That was that was hilarious. Like, hello, Patriot or something like that. Yeah, it was pa Patriot was the, definitely the word. I'm like, I don't even say that shit. Uh-huh. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and let people know that if Ben sends you a private message on Telegram, it's not him. It's not Ben. <laughs> I don't care what it says. Unless you guys are already exactly. friends and you were already having a conversation on Telegram or elsewhere, the chances that Ben's going to be like, hey, I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing. I'm going to open Telegram. I'm going to go to the private message section. Right. I'm going to find you and send you a message. It's just zero. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Whether he's going to talk to you about cryptocurrency. Yeah, yeah, Ben, Ben, and the yeah, the Ben. I am not going to anybody a fucking cryptocurrency. Stock like, up I, on some Balderson If you have coin. never heard me talk, uh -huh. I thought from the beginning when everybody else was not everybody, obviously these guys, but when a bunch of people were going, mm -hmm. cryptocurrency is going to save us, it's going to crush the federal government, blah blah. I was talking out against it. I'm like, this is fucking dumb. Are you going to fight fake money with faker money? Like, oh, paper money is backed by anything. But this computer coin money that's like a digital beanie baby is mm -hmm. still backed by nothing. Oh, the, the blockchain backs it. I just heard a speech from some lady saying that the blockchain guarantees that they can see exactly where every transaction is. But you uh, guys were going on. It's gonna, blockchain's going to free us. Like, <clears> shut <throat> up. I was always against secret. Yeah, it's not an well, plus they're not thinking about uh, some of the, especially in a show like uh, this, where we do like to get into some etymology and language and secret meanings and decoding of things. Crypto mm -hmm. is, you know, that's, that's your crypt, your death. And where, and how what's your guarantee is that you're going to be tied to a block with a chain? I mean, it's not, you know, it's just like anything else. You have to look at both sides imagine both sides like so if it's easy to imagine the good side the smart thing to do is to spend some meditative energy to really really imagine the bad side you know it's it's the it works the other way too if things are really bad it helps sometimes just to fantasize about where the level of improvement or learning or whatever can come from that goes the other way but um i don't know to me it, it costs you know i'm not against it but uh, it costs so much energy and effort to keep it running. It makes me curious. Like the guarantee is in the programming of the system so that they say, well, you can't 
you can't screw up the ledger. So we definitely know what the transactions will be. So then we have an accurate receipt, but you've got this huge infrastructure that has to be maintained for it to work at all. You know, if you get even just localized uh, power outage or any kind of just intermittence and problems, then that it maybe not causes a screeching halt, but it causes a huge weird interruption to the whole process that's going to make everybody lose faith in the system. We already know that that's one of the big problems anyway, is that people, uh, they, you know, hate banking all you want. Your transactions happen pretty damn fast anymore. If I send Jim $300 through the official banking mechanism, Jim gets $300 almost instantly, depending on what we do and if I have to use my official actually, old fashioned very, actually it's very funny because all the newer apps it's instant but if you go back and use the old banking ones it still takes three to five days like if I right. cash app Sean money and I can cash app Sean money he literally mm -hmm. it's in his bank account in two seconds fucking if I try and do it through like Wells Fargo app or something, it still takes no, three, right. to, three five to five days. days. No fucking sense. Well, that's For because all these digital companies have trust in agreement with each other and banks that are backing them up that they're loaning everybody. They're floating literally billions, Floaty. if not trillions sure. of dollars. Because sure. that's the whole thing that happened in 2008. That's why they created that. What did they call it? The TARP. They, I love their stupid acronyms. They had tarp. to get a tarp because of the hole in the money system. Isn't that what you put and, down before you do wet works? Meaning yes, you're going to murder exactly. someone? Or, yeah. Right, because there's blood in the Lay streets. Lay the tarp exactly. down. It's going to be a messy situation. But the banks have always loaned each other hundreds of millions of dollars overnight. You know, uh, hey, can you mm -hmm. can you spot me $5 billion till tomorrow? Sure, I got you. Well, 2008 happened, and they're like, actually, we can't. We we just looked mm -hmm. at Bear Stearns go into the toilet, and we don't know that you're not the next Bear Stearns because we're all really good at hiding our... Uh, dishonesty in our in our uh, liability so no we can't loan you a hundred million dollars absolutely not and so, so when, we Monopoly, like, oh, when we play monopoly when we play monopoly sb elger is our banker <laughs> hey sean that 300 used cash app me hasn't gone through yet you want to send yeah, it it's going to be three to five uh three to five spider days jim ah, oh thanks. hey i forgot i bought us all spiders i know i gave you guys spiders once before but there oh. were some 3d printed spiders I got uh, three white, three black. Oh, wow. So I guess not nice. all of us, just six, six spiders are available. I was thinking to lay them all on a piece of uh, plywood or something and mold them. Just because it would there be funny go. to have a spider mold. Fed now, yeah. But they're, they're these are printed so that they're they're flexible. See the wiggle? Uh, looks like Carrie's from Mexico saying cash is still these king. These spiders wiggle on the web. Oh, are the legs movable inside? Yeah, they, they print like that, you know, like the 3D yeah. printer. I, I've never looked into exactly how they do it, but it must know it's like a how chain. to. Uh, yeah, yeah. It prints to the completion and then has the telemetry to start a new spot or whatever. Either that or, oh, you know what? I bet it is. It just prints with the little bracing on there and then you have to break that off to make it work, I'll bet. Yeah. So a little, little tip to share quickly for people who don't have Telegram, don't ever want Telegram, but they still want to see what's going on on Telegram. HTTPS colon forward slash t.me spiders welcome web is one way to get there. But if you preview it in chat, you include an 
a slash s somewhere there you see this so it would be t.me forward slash s forward slash waving spiders and then in a web browser you can see the channel where we post the links to the stream so if you're looking for a past episode from 10 months ago and you scroll 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 up you could probably find it there that's different from the chat if you want to chat and say things in the chat that's a different url and that will be through the telegram app that we have set up for now for as long as it's still fun and usable so use it now and enjoy it don't know how long the telegram part of will last we said that when we first set it up we might jump to another private group at some point too so all of this is subject to change as technology changes and updates keep happening and even with our StreamYard, we stripped it from zoom now we're to StreamYard. StreamYard works sometimes but we still have to test our audio everything seems to be a test and we are maybe the guinea pigs always being tested on but i think my sound's working tonight you guys can hear me okay we can hear you very good excellent i ain't heard a fucking thing <laughs> it's weird how he answered the question yeah you know what don't think about it sean <laughs> telepathy the telepathy is working tonight that's the kind of stuff that always gets you in trouble when you're overhearing a third-party conversation and you're like, well, this guy's lying. I mean, what did he just say? He's not even tracking. And so then you have to decide, like, are you going to point out? Like, he's trying to think for a line of bull. There's some questions about uh, the involvement of three-letter agencies and intelligence groups using gamification and stuff to get young people into metaverse. I don't know. I don't know. Well, that's the that's been the name of the internet this whole time, guys. Yeah. You know, DARPA started it, and then they're like, "Hey, I think it's ready. Let's give it to the people, and we'll tell them that it's an infinite narcissist machine." Right. And the, and the people are like. Hooray! Life's a slide. Slide down. Slide down. I think Jim and I actually watched um, somebody play through the metaverse, and it was so awful. Like, yeah, I don't know that any none of these tricks are going to get anybody into that world. There's no way. It's all like little kids. Not, that are under not going to happen. Eight years old. Oh no! Yeah, eight-year-old children probably shouldn't have VR goggles on ever. <laughs> yeah. no. I mean, maybe yeah, that's uh, maybe far. that's an uh, opinion that's a bridge too far for some yeah. people. <laughs> they have. We don't they know what it's going to do to us fully developed, reasonably well developed adults. Mm -hmm. So I mean, you know what? Try it one time. Probably pretty harmless. Let your kid, starting at eight years old, use VR on a semi regular basis. <laughs> It's probably really not a good idea. You know, I mean, you know he's already going to hit like 16 or 17 and fuck his brain up by smoking too much pot or something worse. Uh -huh. So you probably don't yeah. want to add VR to the list of uh, maladaptive things. <laughs> so they have bars. They have adults only, only rooms in the metaverse. But the security that they have to keep younger people out is you have to spread your arms as wide as they go. And if it's like... <laughs> If you're yeah. three feet wide or less, that's so funny. Then you're too young, and they won't let you in. 
So no kid is figured yeah, like out my, like what that. About my wife. My wife's the one. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, she's not getting she's not that short. <laughs> it's not like there's a lot to do in that world. It's not. No. It's not like it's any of these amazing, beautiful games. It's not Skyrim. It's not Red Dead Redemption. I didn't exaggerate very much. No. There's no There's, legs. You don't even have you legs. You don't have legs. Yeah. What are you even going to do? No, I think it's legs? for some other reason. That That's the curiosity I always end up with. Like, what's the real. I mean, A, we don't, we can't prove how much money or resources they really put into it. They can claim on paper that they spent, you know, $50 billion to build it, but we have no idea what they really <clears throat> did to, to get it Tom Sawyer onto the <clears throat> internet. And I think it's probably something different than what they claim it is because everything is well they you know? say that you get your own little house there but everybody's got the same house right yeah, yeah i don't want a house that looks just that's like yours house. yeah at least in animal crossing i can buy new furniture and move it first, around if you stuff. move into any city it's pretty if you move into any city it's pretty much the same your that's neighbor the problem has the i have with living in the city you, also <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I heard that when they were developing the technology, there was hopes that it would become a shopping portal. So it would be a virtual mall that your avatar would walk through because going to an actual mall, you might experience the Nephila. No, oh, yeah. The Nephilu. Yeah. Nephilu with squirt guns. Nephilu. <laughs> Those guys might show up at the mall and set up fireworks, and it might be dangerous. So to go to a virtual mall from the safety of your own home, basically this would be like you're shopping in a sharper image Sears catalog thing, but it would be like a 3D experience. So you'd be so immersed in the experience, and they'd be playing the cool, soothing music, and the lights would be flashing, and you'd be in a virtual mall, and then be like, wow, I can buy this uh, – thing that i don't need but just by thinking about it and then it shipped to my house makes shopping so much fun wait to your virtual house or your real house well both both because <laughs> because with the idea of digital items selling for real world money people were buying castles in <laughs> fantasy role-playing games that are only existing online but spending 15 actual thousand yes. dollars yes. on something mm -hmm. in a real world in hopes of the game becoming more popular and there being only one castle in the game and now and now no one can copy the castle so they have to pay real money to buy the actual castle but it turns out that the company store can just produce another castle copy, copy it paste. paste it in <laughs> and now now there's 30 castles whenever when when previously there was only three it's kind of the inflation of the digital biden biden economical model of <laughs> just, right. castle just inflation copy paste copy paste rare but serious right it's not even bouncy <laughs> that's the worst part about it it's not even bouncy it's not a that would be now to me the most brilliant uh underhanded insult for an actual castle owner like they're showing you their real castle a Hearst Castle, Hearst Mansion, or something. It's like it's not even bouncy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta take your shoes off. Yeah, you can actually go. You know, like have you been looking at my bookshelf? 
<laughs> How did you know? I was thinking her They don't. Well, build we used to like drive by it sometimes. Right? No, that's a crazy place. Yeah, right up there by the uh, Winchester Mystery House. Right, and I, I keep forgetting that there was a time before computer screens showed photos instantaneously. You'd have to go to a library to see a picture <laughs> of Napoleon at the Sphinx. I don't know if that's a painting. I think it's a painting. So all of these pictures that we have available so easily used to have to be printed on paper in full color, and then you'd have like a coffee table book to see the images. Don't worry, it didn't cost as much to print it. $27.95. And then at some point, it was like they'd list the Canadian price because it would be more or less the United States dollar price. You remember that? Mm -hmm. You would yeah. think that well, if the dog, uh, you feel that there the was a dog getting bit, so like they say it does. You right. think if the Sphinx had a hole in its head like they say it does? At that point, uh, Napoleon would have been real interested in that. Like, hey, man, here's a whole cavern down here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's a big sand castle they could build over the Sphinx, just keep piling up the sand and completely cover up all of Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> that sand it gets everywhere and all the cracks uh oh <laughs> but so does land period so where does the extra land come from good question I think that the universe is always creating more well, it, it ebbs and flows like uh, breathing as evidenced by volcanoes in out in out yeah, and then a little bit more. It's like a it's like a rest and then a growth and then a rest and then a growth. Just like the real life. Yeah. But uh, I'm gonna have to bail you guys because like uh, something just came up and I gotta feed this dog. So. Every good night, Sean. Love you, bro. Yeah. Good night. Every hey, civilization is basically. Uh, <laughs> built on the back of another civilization all these uh all these great monuments and fucking buildings they find out they're on top of another building on top of another fucking building you know sometimes on top of yet another fucking building <coughs> yeah. like most most american cities are like that you know underneath the street there's yeah. another street and a, a whole a whole story of the buildings down there underground that they don't need, they just board up. I know it is here in Walla Walla. Yeah. I had a friend, <laughs> she had a, a little shop and she's like, you got to see my basement. It's huge. And I was like, yeah, right. This shop was tiny. And she took me down there and it just like went down and then it opened up into the whole, and you could see all the buildings. And there was like all these pillars holding up the street holding up everything it was just cobwebs and there was like glass in these storefront windows it was insane just like forgotten about weird yeah 
<clears throat> yeah, see, the Jews didn't uh, the Jews didn't even need to do any tunneling. They could have just found some old used unused tunnels. Not very they smart. Probably though. did. Yeah. Let's, let's yeah, they, they actually didn't dig anything. They just had they just claimed it. <laughs> <coughs> oh, it is, is it is one of their film. things. Was that this is a classic film, Mazes and Monsters. Tom Hanks. Oh, is that a video game? Oh, it's a movie. And a game? I don't know if it's a game. <laughs> Look it up. Could be. Could be a game. They didn't do any digging. It's like they didn't work on no pyramids billing. They yeah. don't do nothing. <laughs> they just find something that was there and claim that they did it. Fuckers. <coughs> Give us some shackles. We, we we did a bunch of work here. We we, we some we got robbed. We were slaves. We need shackles. <laughs> this mazes and monsters movie with tom hanks was based off of a news story that was maybe inaccurate about another guy who let's see where did my tab go mazes and monsters let's see um inaccurate newspaper story about the disappearance of one james dallas egbert the third from michigan state university 1979 Early media accounts overemphasized Egbert's participation in fantasy role-playing, speculating that his hobby of Dungeons and Dragons might have been a factor in his disappearance, wanting to actually go and do Or that his fucking him. name is the dumbest name ever. James Dallas Egbert III. That's a pretty good character name. Not for a reason. Mm -hmm. <laughs> William Deere, the private yeah. investigator hired to investigate the case, explained actual events and the reasons behind the media myth in his 1984 book, The Dungeon Master. And then uh, this guy wrote a novel in a matter of days, fearing that another author might be fictionalizing this Egbert investigation. This would tie us back to schizophrenia. It says, like the book on which it is based, the film touches on the claim that playing role-playing games could be related to psychological problems. At least one protagonist is or appears to be suffering from schizophrenia or some other condition. So the idea that it would become very difficult to determine the difference between the fantasy world and real life because you'd be so immersed in your imagination and your character that you would no longer be able to return to the land of the living and the mundane and pay your bills and attend your classes and graduate from college. Yes, that's exactly what happens. Yeah, why would you want to come back to the world of the mundane? Right. Well, I mean, we honestly saw that happen with, uh, like, when I was uh, young. <coughs> it wasn't World of Warcraft yet, but it was Evercrack. Yep. You know, we all had a friend that we lost to Evercrack. Right. Like that dude was a normal dude, and now it's just some husk of a dude sitting surrounded by fucking Mountain Dews and chips, ba empty bags of chips and a computer. Uh -huh. those, those are the symptoms of self-isolation and ejecting yourself from society. It, it could have been Evercrack. It could have been anything at any point in history that was available for someone to 
obsess over and really lose themselves in. Could be alcohol. It could be any number of foods. It could be, it could be anything. At this point in history, Dungeons and Dragons was the new scary thing, and I think parents were concerned. And there's always this sort of contingent of parent-teacher groups that are uh, concerned about Pokemon cards. When Pokemon cards became uh, very popular in schools. Then there's reports that, well, these cards were costing too much money and people were stealing other uh, Charizard cards or whatever violence was erupting because the Pokemon <laughs> cards were, were too important. And, and people weren't focusing on classes because they were just memorizing the names of the Pokemon or doing other things that weren't related to what they should have been doing. And Pokemon got blamed in that instance. But now it's maybe the new thing, Fortnite or whatever pal world game is just released. That's maybe a copy of Pokemon where the Pokemon become guns. And then you use the, the mo pocket monsters to uh, somehow become the elemental element of your gun. And you put it in there and people have been playing this game nonstop since it's released. They get really addicted to that gameplay loop. It's easy to say. <coughs> Uh, speaking of mundane, another author that we thought would be really fun to have on the show was Piers Anthony. Oh, yeah. Anth novels. Oh! No. got some of those books. Is that guy there. still fucking alive? I think so. I yeah, think he, he is. He's, I mean, he put out so many books. So many. There's no way I could have gotten through all of them. <laughs> and, and, and they were such odd books. Like her, they were a lot of fun. So Yeah, yeah apparently he's still alive. He's fucking, he's fucking, he's damn near 90. Yeah, yeah he'd be a fun guy to talk to. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. if we are now thinking of more questions that we would have wanted to ask author Richard Allen now, there's uh, the place to leave comments below on Rockfin and YouTube. And um, I'm putting my email address out there. As well, I think that's in the comments. Just thankful uh, with one L, but one two L. L's in Allen. I was going to um, comment on Richard having uh, an Allen spelled the same way that I spell it as well, so we have that in common. But I didn't want to gush and fanboy too much and scare him away. <laughs> we have so much in common like our names are spelled alike, alike and we, we, we like the same races of characters and we, <laughs> write, we read all the same books I mean you write them I read them but it's the same book and I love them all the sort of exuberance quit you guys <laughs> yeah I was trying not to fanboy too because fucking uh, like I said like literally I've probably read just in Dragonlance alone, I've read over a hundred books, and his was the start of that. He started me in the fantasy genre, period. And I probably read ten thousand fantasy books or so, fucking like so much just because mm -hmm. of this dude. Yeah, it's like a gateway drug to reading other books. Yeah. Yeah, because of course, once I read Legend of Huma, I had to go back and read 
uh, <coughs> I had to go back and read the original six books of the uh, series, the ones that uh, he, he mentioned, uh, uh, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to go back and read those. And then, of course, then I had to read some of the other ones that came out. And then now that I'm reading fantasy books, I mean, I had read uh, uh, some of the more, more, you know, classics like, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings, but I hadn't really delved into the new fantasy genre stuff. Um, you know, like I, I've said before, like when you look back in like the early 80s and shit before uh this he was kind he was kind on the start of this fantasy genre era <clears throat> before that you had like tarnsman of gore and a few other odd and end books that were just odd books that's all they were you know it, it wasn't really a genre yet yeah and uh once you read now you'll discover that there are non-fiction books and there's books that teach you yeah. how to fish and build houses and study herbs and plants and rocks and minerals and things. So to get a person, a young person, a child, reading early with anything that they want to read, you know, that's probably a good thing to do to get them into the habit of becoming lifelong readers. Yeah. I wonder if uh, nonfiction <laughs> writers are right-handed more. <laughs> Uh, a lot of fiction that, fantasy writers are left handed. The whole right brain, left brain thing. You know, you use your, you're primarily using yeah. your right brain if you're left handed. That's your uh, creative side. Mm -hmm. Probably a lot of right handed accountants, I would think. My dogs are fighting on me. We we do have a kind of a full moon time, don't we? Was it full? It's just risen last night. Okay. It has risen. It's, it's been risen. <laughs> it has risen. Well, it you say risen. you say that, and I'm gonna have to uh, share the 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 sad news that they are they Disney is going ahead with creating a third Tron movie without. The leading actor that we love, Bridges, Jeff Bridges, and I don't know that Def. Oh yeah, either. So they're just gonna keep making Neutron movies. Is Jeff Bridges I didn't still see alive? The second Tron movie, I vaguely. Oh yeah, Jeff Bridges still alive. Oh sure, let's get him on the stream sometime. Good idea. Yeah, we love. I'm like, dude, good. Comments on uh, the new Dude. Tron movie, sure. And Dune 2 is going to be in theaters in the next few weeks. And I think that uh, Warner Brothers is already telling themselves that it will be successful and they will go ahead and do Dune Messiah. I would have to agree. Uh, given, you know, I mean, the, the, you know, small hat writers with the large noses and the fucking and the rubby fingers. You know, like uh, while I'm not, I don't believe that they're good writers at all. You know, that writing strike, it's for whatever reason, they didn't allow other writing to come out either. Although there was a few things that came out that were uh, pretty damn good, like that Billy the Kid series. But then now that the the 
you know, small hats are back. They cut that series off. So there really hasn't been, I don't watch much TV or movies at all. Like, you know, once, once or twice a year during the winter, I'll get something and there's really nothing good at all this year. Absolutely. You, you you did say small hats, and I wanted to say happy uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day to all those who celebrate. But I didn't say <laughs> yes. that earlier. I waited till now. We'll put that one right up there with the tooth fairy, and 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 you know. Right. So small hats. Uh, uh, Festivus is, is at mm -hmm. the Festivus. You know, Festivus. it's it's up there with Festivus. Mm -hmm. Our uh, our friend Elon Musk. Elon Musk was spotted wearing one of those small hats, little doilies on his head. I think he went well, to a know, wall and wailed at it or something or touched it. Or yeah. Something. So Elon Musk, yeah. the guy who renamed Twitter to X, wore a little hat and left America to go to another country with a guy named Ben Shapiro. Yeah, uh, Ben Shapiro chaperoned him. Is it Shapiro? You know that guy? Isn't he a rapper? Shapiro? Sh Sh Shapiro? Yeah, he's a rapper, know. I think. I think he's a media guy. I think he has a stream or a show that he does. No, ben you're, you're wrong. No, he's I've, a rapper. I've been wrong many times. Oh. P or B B B B rap 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 I he's a rapper or a rapper he's a rapper okay I think I'm getting the my wires crossed a little bit but I think I understand what maybe we're talking about little hat, little hat guys yeah yeah like the, the hierarchy of little hat guys okay well no he's 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 hold on I'll show you. Right. I, you're I'm just confused. Music. It's okay. Here we go. Here we go. I'm hearing hold the music. On. I'm not seeing it. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. I had to get past the commercial. And here you go. Share screen. Select window. Um, now why, why is that my fucking options? Oh, Tom, Tom, Thomas McDonald. The doodle bear guy, the guy with the doodle bear face tattoos. Doodle bear. <laughs> Remember those doodle bears? You'd draw all over their bodies and then you'd throw them in the wash machine. They'd spin around and they come out all all clean. And then you'd. It's not like an ethic cleansing thing, though. It's just like. Doodle Tom McDoodle bear. Those two sang a rap together. Six million fleas. The Doodle Bear guy and, and Ben Shapiro. <laughs> Don't see the video yet. Hold on, it's not. It was it was being dumb, and it was going to do that thing where uh, it made like the like the fifty copies of it, and they get smaller and smaller. As it goes, it was going to do that shit to me, so I had to switch up to this other, uh, this other thing. Here we go. Now I can do it. Present arms. What are you doing Brought to you by Skylink, <laughs> our sponsor for the show tonight. 
and every night giving internet to everyone everywhere at all times whether they want it or not i don't know where this thing you have to share it to the producer but yeah the ben shapiro guy uh why isn't it letting me pull that up they're still st testing the sound lately it's been really tough for me for something they changed in uh Streamyard, uh -huh. some security, or maybe it's the YouTube uh, pop-up blockers that have been making things suck. The ad blocking game. There we, we go. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, guy. See, he's a rapper. He's, he's rapping with oh, this yeah, other. He's there behind See, the he's rapping. What about him? What about him now? What What about him? Yeah, why is he? Well, he was with the dude. Right. So Marcus was saying that he's a speaker. I was trying to tell Marcus that he's a rapper, and he didn't. Yeah. He didn't know. I thought that I thought he comes across very right wing. Like he lead, mm -hmm. he tends to attract a very right wing. Oh, it's crowd. no right wing too. Yeah. <laughs> I had forgotten that uh, Ben Shipperu was rapping with Tom uh, Doodlebear McDonald in a music video. <laughs> I thought you were saying that we're replacing the P's with the B's, so we wouldn't say the word rabbi, but we would call them rappers instead. <laughs> Like, that's a lot of hoops to jump through just to not wear a tiny hat on your head and have to go to the no he's a rapper but he's literally a rapper this is this is what the uh, simulation wants yeah, he yeah, wants yeah. to be a rapper oh he was looking hard too with that that with the doodle bar tattoos too. man is ben shepero going to get some uh swastikas tattooed on his face and then later removed <laughs> Maybe get some concrete dump trucks tattooed on his uh, face. All the hate symbols so we know what not symbols, what symbols not to use. It's, a, it's such a joke because we go to Wikipedia to find out what are the cuss words, the curse words, and the racist words to rename our birds. But it's all listed online. They give you a whole list of these are the hate speeches, these are the hate symbols, symbols of hate. So they tell us what they are, and then it's like, well, don't use them, but here they are. But don't use them. But don't use them. I'm still trying are. to figure out how many ovens it takes to cook six million pizzas. It's a lot of ovens. I have not been able to make this calculation. I am not a right-handed accountant to, to factualize <laughs> that actuarial scientific table. Come on, guys. Yeah, there, there's a picture of Elon Musk with the Pope, Pope Francis, who has decided now, I guess the uh, Catholic Church has decided now to uh, give blessings away to gay people. But the distinction is they are two people standing side by side that are each receiving their blessings or maybe they're receiving the blessing together. But not because of their their marriage situation or their dating situation. Some of them are blessing bottoms, and some of them are blessing tops. 
Yeah, so that's a weird cultural thing I didn't think I'd ever see in my lifetime that the, the Pope would even play that nice. I don't know. So seeing Ben Chaparro with uh, Thomas uh, McDoodlebear. <laughs> Whose girlfriend's name is Nova Rockefeller. Rockefeller. Which Wow. But she's Rockefeller in her lifetime. <laughs> Doodle bear. Yeah. <laughs> Other Doodle Bear commercials we can look at. I think that's where I first learned about the Doodle Bear. It, it, it's very interesting. Uh, you know, it, and then you look at. Uh, what else is happening politically? I mean, they're pushing a civil war hard. Uh, I just read right before the show where a senator of Georgia was saying that we now have a, a official divide and we just need to quit being a country and we'll be us and they be them. Because uh, 25 states have signed on to back Texas. And mm -hmm. a lot of those, and quite a few of those states have already sent National Guard to Texas to help with this problem. Right. The only problem I see is that not everybody in Texas has a doodle bear. Yeah, but there is no doodle bears. Everybody <laughs> could write their grievances on a doodle bear backpack. <laughs> so this would bring about world peace. Everyone gets a doodle bear. Maybe it's named Rosie. Doodle bear tag. Maybe it's named Shapiro. I love you. I hate you, but you're my doodle bear always. Drop it right in. See how see how the ethnic cleansing works there. I wish, I wonder which one of these doodle bears is Tom and which one's Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Drop it right in. Comes right out clean. See the only missed opportunity that Tycho had here was that they didn't uh, they didn't partner with Tide Pods or any sort of detergent that would be best used to remove the uh, washful ink from the, the doodle bear. <laughs> no one's thinking about uh, selling uh, more markers, but once they install that doodle bear in your house, you're going to need more markers and more laundry detergent. Yeah. You need a, a smart Next thing you know, there's next thing you know, there's dudes with little hats that walk around acting like they're the shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a Hang, side just burn. hanging out for no reason, apparently looking hard and shit. <laughs> listen, like listen, Shapira, mm -hmm. dude, you have never been in a fight. Don't stand there looking hard, you weirdo. Yeah. Shapira isn't my shirt, but I'm not a I'm not a flock. I'm not a sheep. I'm not ready to be fleeced just yet. No, sir. <laughs> Nobody believes your people picked up big, heavy blocks. Nobody believes that. You fucking yutzes. You can't pick up anything. Nobody believes you can fight. No, nothing. But pretending. You and Doodle Bear over there fucking couldn't fight your way out of a paper bag. <laughs> Do we need to read the lyrics of that song to determine what they're even talking about? Sure. Is there a message to the music? It's, it's even... you know, just mostly hardcore. You know, basically, if, well, we could watch Fox for 12 minutes and we we could find the message. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, it's just a hard right wing push. Well, Make you know, I, I do ask guests what their favorite Christian band is, because if I were to ask them what their favorite Jewish band or Muslim band or other other religions in the world beyond that. Dude, I, I had trouble pulling a Christian band when you asked me that shit. I drew a fucking blank. I'm like, Christian band? Right. What? Well, What's your favorite satanic band? Yeah, oh, that's... Like the, the Veggie kids or something? What are we asking me? What, silly what Songs with Larry? <laughs> Larry's a cucumber? Like, he writes Silly Songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, what, what are you asking me? I like the, 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 the fucking Veggie Tales or something? What are you asking me? <laughs> like Richard Knack did not do better with it either. He's just like it just went dead silent. Like okay, so is it a, a get out the vote? Yeah, vote for your favorite Christian music band so they show up on yeah, exactly. It's one of those things where, and it's a very interesting thing because then also, like uh, Jelly Roll was just in front of Congress. And, you know, talking about the fentanyl and blah, blah. And mm -hmm. so it's like there's this uh, very dirty representation that's supposed to be of the people, you know, where you got uh, Jelly Roll, who's not country at all. Like, there's nothing country about his fucking music. It's bar music is all it mm -hmm. is. Like, if I can. And, you know, his, his music's appealing to a, a people that is feeling very beat down and oppressed and uh you know and with that beat down and oppression you turn to drugs things like that well uh his music is is very much reaching those people so okay. they're using guys like him and tom mcdonald uh because the conservative big the, the conservative base uh needs to expand and it doesn't it no longer has that 1950s i i'm gonna go to work in my little overcoat and my little tie and blah blah that that's not who who it is it's so they're trying to reach more of the okay. the base that you know the tattooed up uh more hardcore but they also even even though you're tattooed up and hardcore that don't mean you want uh you know trannies rubbing their junk in your kid's face while they're that's, supposedly that's mentioned the right here that's mentioned right here in this verse yeah, yeah. All, so they so they're reaching to their dragging in that yeah they're dragging in and dragging that into the conservative base but then with the conservative base like you see right here uh they're gonna push the if you're conservative you also have to be pro israel pro small hat okay. you know um and okay. just like in this video uh he, he tom mcdonald is playing a conservative and look here this here's this small hat next to me who's this little nerdy fuck that goes around to colleges arguing with college kids and i'm gonna pretend like we're rapper. cool and together it's weird for a gangster rapper imitator here to um want police not to be defunded or something i thought the whole thing was like right. f the police this is just weird how long does it go for it, verse it, two it, ben shapiro wow so he says let's look at the stats i've got the facts my 
money like Lizzo, my pockets are fat. Homie, I'm epic. Don't be a wap dog. It's a <laughs> yarmulke, homie. No cap. Look at the graphs. Look at my charts. You're blowing money on strippers and cars. You're going to prison. I'm on television, dog. No one knows who you are. Keep hating me on the internet. My comments section all woke Karens, and I make racks off compound interest. He's admitting it. Y'all live with your parents. Yeah, dude. Straight up. Straight. That's fucked wow. up. And off compound interest, not even simple interest. Like usury. anybody that doesn't usury. know because they don't teach they don't teach people. They're both usury, but compound mm -hmm. interest is a really evil usury because for people that don't know, because they don't teach these kind of things anymore, right. simple interest means that your interest is accrued daily. So if I make a double payment, now my principal is lower and every day the, the uh, interest is accrued according to the principal. On a compound interest loan, it doesn't matter what I do in my payments, the interest of a say 30 year loan is already worked into the loan and I can pay that thing off in five years and it will save me not a single penny because that all the entirety of the interest is worked right. into, into the loan and compound interest loan. So it's a really fuck over the person. There's no incentive for you to try and pay off the loan early or get ahead or anything. Mm. They're going to fuck you no matter what. And that's, that's some dirty shit. Yeah. Yeah. He's bragging it. Forward, bragging it. Back. Oh, dude. Yeah. Dude, I could do, we could do a parody of this. We could do it, a parody of it. It writes itself. <laughs> it, it, see, this is this is the thing. This is the issue. I don't having. know that it'll make it on YouTube for very long. But this is this is the issue we're having. They're already wrapping these verses that are sort of tongue in cheek, so there's not really a whole level of sincerity there. You, it's hard to parody something that's already sort of like a parody. It's just like it's like if you make a comedy and then you try to make a parody of the comedy. And then you try to make a parody of the parody of the comedy. It's it's so far removed from an original idea. It's just a joke, retelling a joke, retelling a joke, but like changing the words to say, instead of it being this side I don't like, now I replace it with I'm the good guy and you're the bad guy. Right. So it's like that a rapper with a tiff that he doesn't like. He doesn't like the woke people, but then it's like the woke people would take his verse and then replace it but it's not a rap battle it's just i rewrote the history of it i rewrote the lyrics i changed the genders that affirm my systems of belief better gotcha was was a victory really achieved there and really how how much more what what can you parody when he puts in there that's almost like the eminem thing where when he's talking and shit about himself or whatever supposedly on eight mile or whatever like when he's right. like and i love and i live love compound interest like well you're already saying the shit i was gonna say hey right. you know that's what i was gonna talk about right i don't know it's what like to say i'm, proud I'm wealthy <laughs> because i am making compound interest my money's yeah. making money for me you're poor stay poor 
because you're paying these bankers for all of yeah. your credit cards and all the things that you need just to be able to live on the basics, <laughs> just the essentials to get by rent and food and electricity and maybe a little gas if they allow you to have an oven in your home or apartment. Well, everything that he listed was all shit things like, oh, so you're so you're known. You you go around to colleges and argue with college kids. Like that's what you're famous for. That's big fucking deal. You get a bunch of people shit talking you on on your uh on your YouTube. Well yeah, you get all the college kids riled up. Like it's not hard to get them little fuckers riled up. They're in college for God's sake. They're all dumb. Yeah, you know, anybody that's worked in any field, as soon as the kid out of college comes in to get the job, you're like, what did they teach you in there? Holy shit. Like they are always the dumbest people that you've ever met. Uh, so you can't you can't do it by the <laughs> have you seen all the cement trucks are anti-semitic too? <laughs> that shit's hilarious. Right, right. <laughs> Some of it just makes me laugh. They're like, right. we dug the tunnels under there by hand. Cement trucks are anti-Semitic, or else we would have shored them walls up. <laughs> and the mattresses in the walls were used for noise dampening because we all know that they're recording gangster rap in their temples or whatever. Yes. So that's why the mattresses were there. Okay. It's yes. a recording studio. Gotcha. Right. So with everyone's tone, every person on Twitter and social media has this sort of baseline position of satire and irony and comedy and humor. But when our politicians are acting like teenagers on Twitter saying, I think I might fuck around and do a little secession later. By the way, I'm the governor of Texas. Are people taking that seriously? Well, did he or did he not? Was that a real tweet I read or was it a fake tweet? It, no one can trust anything. I, I don't anymore. fucking know. This has right. moved. That whole, that, whole sec, that whole Texas thing has moved fast. I'm really yeah. surprised because I don't see... I don't see where either side can back down and save face on this at all. They've really taken and escalated this to some real heavy heights I, and fast. I read something today. It was somebody's post that they were saying that Texas was actually a nation or country first. And when they seceded and when they joined the states, they kept a clause in their constitution that they could leave the United States at any time. I don't know if it's true. I haven't looked it up. Cool. Yeah, is that part of the Alamo? Cool. Yeah. I don't know. The whole damn thing's very weird, and I can't believe how fat hard it's escalated because Biden fucking immediately said they have 24 hours to back down, and Texas and half the country said, fuck off. Like, you Who know, 20, 26 states. Mm -hmm. Just, like, in a day's time. This was just yesterday afternoon, right. dude. right. Like, because the federal government, the federal government went in and said, we want access to the border. And there's a, I can't remember the names of the areas, but there was a few areas that they were going to go in and clear board, uh, concertina wire and shit and mm -hmm. open these areas up And Texas, like the hell you are. And, uh, Nefer! Nefer! and 
right. If we could just get okay, one uh, threat like the, to unite us all. Texas we like the hell alien you invasion. Are. So then uh, the Supreme Court went and said that uh, Biden has the right to do this. Mm-hmm. And they the Supreme Court backed Biden and, the, and Texas didn't back down. And they said, fuck off. We don't care what you say. And then 25 states all signed an agreement saying, yeah, we're with Texas. So basically every all the whole the whole middle of the country, you know, you got the West Coast is with the federal government and then the uh, uh, northeast to Chicago. But other than that, like the whole big center swath of the country all said, nah, we ain't we ain't with this. Right. And my my sort of uh, understanding of this is all through Twitter. So I'm scratching my head thinking, when did Twitter become the place for officials in government to um, make small talk and declare secession? Like, that's how it was found out. Right. It's like governor of Texas. And it's all on Twitter. But why is it hashtag Governor Abbott? So it's like a Twitter war where people are posting, you know, whether they're for or against Texas seceding or staying in the whatever. But it's all discourse happening on Twitter at the speed of thought. And there's no take backs. So it's just like an Internet flame war with an actual border on a map. Uh, being the stakes, I guess it's a high stakes poker game, and then people are screenshotting Whoa. Greg Abbott underscore Texas TX Twitter posts or X posts and then resharing them everywhere else. But it's so easy just to Photoshop the letters or change it around, it's just the worst way to get any news. But well, it's all and, developed. And you're not gonna. And give an official report. You're gonna claim. You're gonna say you're seceding from the country, and you're not gonna come out and like have a little team of people and give a little address to the nation or something. Well, just, just give like me a link. Give me a link to their official web page so I know it's a official government of Texas web page statement. But just because uh, yeah, a guy has a blue check mark on Twitter, I'm supposed to believe that they are an official source. So yeah, I like, like, like if they end up turning out it with his fucking his his uh, under study or whatever the fuck was up late, but fucking one of his fucking other helper people, and they made a tweet because he left his phone in the office. Sure, sure, yeah. That'd be real embarrassing. Well, that happened too with the SEC, the Security Exchange Commission. They accidentally made a post regarding Bitcoin. And then they said, oops, we were hacked. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> the, the Security and Exchange Commission's Twitter X account was hacked. So we're right. taking that post back. But people were buying and selling and trading based off of a tweet that was apparently hacked. So I'm just saying it's probably a really bad way to have a democracy or do a little democracy online through Twitter or X or whatever it is. 
But I mean, we know that we know that he did that. This is happening because, like I said, twenty-five right. other states have signed some uh, agreement or announcement mm-hmm. stating they stand mm-hmm. with Texas. And a number of those states had already sent, even prior to this, had sent uh, uh, National Guard to Texas because so many people are, you know, this whole border thing. Uh, listening to the Senate hearings, I believe they said something like 1.8 million immigrants came in last year which is insane an insane number of fucking people and that's the numbers that they know of like that's what they're that's admitting six to million number again under president policies more than six million more than six million illegal immigrants have crossed our southern border mm-hmm. in just three years that is more than the population of 33 <laughs> that is more than the population of 33 different states in this country. This illegal refusal to protect the states has inflicted unprecedented harm on the capital P people all across the capital United States, U.S. The U.S. James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and other visionaries who wrote the U.S. Constitution foresaw that states should not be left to the mercy of a lawless president who does nothing to stop external threats like cartels smuggling millions of illegal immigrants across the border. Hmm. That is why the framers included both Article 4, Section 4, which promises that the federal government, in quotes, shall protect each state against invasion End quote. And Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, which acknowledges the state's sovereign interest in protecting their borders. On and on it goes. Signed, Greg Abbott, government governor of Texas. This JPEG shared to Twitter announcing this very important thing. I don't know why this is not on the official Texas, state of Texas website. Do they even have an official web page where they can post official documents. I've, Twitter, I've not though. seen anything about what Layla's saying there, but I can believe that. Uh, they're saying, cause I've seen a bunch of reports saying that they're giving these people money and a cell phone when they're coming across. Well, fuck if 6 million people all got money and a cell phone, they need to take that. They take need to get that from somewhere. So they're going to quit giving us back taxes. You fucking ain't right. Uh, I, I don't, oh. I don't have any problem leaving that at all. That makes people real angry. You hit them in the pocketbook and yeah. they might just go out and do a little, uh, revolutionary war dance circle jerk thing where they get real angry and point guns at people and you know, bullets kill people. It's not oh. the guns. The bullets kill people. So uh, they've been pushing a civil war for some time, and then you add to this that they've tr- they've pulled Trump off a number of ballots. So they're mm-hmm. trying to take away the whole uh, democracy thing. Period. Uh, pulling Trump off of different ballots. Like if you aren't going to let him vote for the guy, if he's blocked on the ballot where you can't even write him in, you've stopped democracy. You're asking for a civil war. You're fucking asking for it. And then you've got this going on now. They're just pushing it. What I'm, what I'm not, what I'm trying to rash understand is, 
I've for some time been believing that they've been pushing for a, a hard right swing, a hard conservative swing. But now it looks like this just might entirely fall apart. And they've got to know that if we don't, if one side or the other doesn't definitively win and we end up as a split nation, we're going to get picked off by other, by other nations, by other larger nations. We're getting picked off. There's no doubt. Like if we don't, mm-hmm. if we can't win, which I don't see how that could happen no matter what. Cause I, I actually served in the army. Our, our military is right now, I believe 1.4 million soldiers. That's everything. That's army, Navy, Marines, reserves, the whole fucking nine, the coast guard, 1.4 million. That ain't shit. That isn't shit. So like, and people don't understand that to take, like, if you're going to go up to like the mountains or people's farms out in the country, and you're going to march across that land, them farmers know every stupid little hidey hole, every little ravine that you can't be seen from all those little things. And they all got 30 out sixes. And there's no protecting yourself from that. Like the the level of armor you would have to wear to stop a 30-06 would make it so you can't even hardly walk. Um, And they all got those things. And that means you've got to send a giant number of people to take out every little farm. Well, you've only got 1.4 million people to work with. And if it's a civil war, your own military, out of that 1.4 million, at least half is going to bail on you. They're going to go. They're like, I'm not shooting at my own people. Fuck you. I'm right. joining them. I'm taking, I mean, that's a, that's I'm taking a, my That's for a border over. dispute. There's other ways to have a war. And if it's a financial economic war and people are having to choose between eating or paying their rent or staying warm because they don't have the funds to do any of these things. Well, that's. That's the real war, right? They just uh, stop the slow, they slow the spread of money and then they flood the pool of total dollars with the inflation. So you're making less money. Your money is purchasing less stuff because the purchasing power has gone down. At some point, at some point on the chart, lines are going to get crossed and it's going to be, well, I no longer can live. I can no longer afford to live. I got to do something. Something has to change. So does that get me to go to the ballot box and vote in November? I vote for the candidate who offers me the most universal basic income. (laughs) It's a nightmare. And where do they think that that universal basic income comes from? If you are able to live off of that universal basic income, enough people will quit producing to where now that they're going to have to take that much more from the people that are producing until fucking eventually there's more ticks on that dog than that dog can fucking live through. And it just gives out. Well, look at a country like Germany and then look at their numbers of their outputs in their steel production where Germany has become completely deindustrialized. Yeah. What are like they us. going to do? America 
America has become completely deindustrialized. De we don't have factories. We don't even make yeah, most Ross of our Bro, own Ross food. Bro said that this was happening. Ross right, Bro said of, this was going to be the result of NAFTA. Our he food is coming out. from Mexico. Yeah. I'm in Minnesota. How much of my food, in quotes, food, food-like objects, stuff at the grocery store, how much of it comes from Mexico? A lot of it. A huge okay. amount of it. So we're not even growing our own food and shipping it to our grocery stores. Most of most farms are getting paid to not grow anything in a lot of ways, you know. It just and that's what the farmers want because it's easier. Mm -hmm. But well, and, and the thing is, is is we turned into this heavy monocropping, is what really happened. So before, where let's say I own 15 plots of land, and I'm probably and I'm just a small farm, I'm a farmer, you know, and I'm gonna go into town and sell my goods. I'm probably going to choose maybe four or five plots are going to have the same thing on them because that's like my best selling thing. But chances are that I'm going to choose to grow six, eight different things. Um, in today's world, what we have is because of monoculture, the entire Midwest, you can drive through any port portion of like Nebraska, the entire fucking state grows corn. Like there is almost nothing else in them fields. You drive through there in the fall, you're ready to kill yourself from the seeing nothing but corn stalks, you know, yeah. six feet, eight feet high all day for hours. You're like, Jesus, God, plant something else. You you drive through uh, uh, South Dakota and it's real heavy in soybeans because the entire state, you know, uh, mm -hmm. your fruits and vegetables the Midwest, it's not, you've got a very short grow season. Uh, so your are uh, like summer squashes, your uh, fruits and vegetables. It doesn't do well for them. So now you got, now you're relying on shipping because you're monoculturing out entire areas. You're not just monoculturing one farm, you're monoculturing entire areas. And then depending on shipping to transfer the foods back and forth. You're getting your grains and whatnot in the Midwest, and you're getting your fruits and vegetables from California and Mexico, and they're they're trading. And that's why in the Midwest, you go there, the fresh vegetables are non-existent. It's horrible there uh, because those don't transport well, but the grains, the grains transport real nice. Yeah, and monocropping, it's that was the thing that led to the the potato famine they all the farmers were urged to grow one kind of potato instead of growing one of you know many different types of potatoes but then some kind of blight comes in that's specific to that one kind of potato and everybody is screwed yeah. everybody every yeah. crop is gone they predict well, that also, in movies like interstellar too remember all these dust bowl scenarios it's like well how does that happen You've got this one thing, and then that one thing dies, and now you have nothing. Yeah, so, they, that's what happened to bananas. When they say there are the bananas that we used to eat back in the 70s, those bananas are gone because there was a blight, and it wiped them out. Yeah. You guys know that Dr. Greer guy? 
uh, oh, yeah. Alan Greer, the UFO, no. the UFO contact guy. Yeah, the uh, or Stephen Stephen Greer. Stephen Greer. Greer. Right, right. The UFO um, dude talks to uh, Doctor Doctor Pex. Doctor Pex. I was just watching his Lost Century movie. And I knew it was going to ruffle my feathers and upset me, but I couldn't figure out what was the lie in it. What was the truth? So he's on was that stage. CE5? Is that what he calls it? That's, that is something he has talked about in his newest documentary. He is talking about the idea of what they'll call free energy. or basically inputting an amount of energy and then multiplying it to maximize energy output. So other devices or engines for cars that would take in a little bit of energy, maybe from a zero point or something. They, didn't, they don't quite explain mm-hmm. how it works, but they share this idea that Lockheed, Boeing, other sort of companies that you know the names of all have access to these technologies. So then he goes on to say that the Roswell incident that the they're crash all doing thing. over unity, right? That, that they all have that, owner yeah. over unity. Yes, yes. Are you fucking serious? So this is this is he's, he's speaking seriously about this topic to say that the the problem of world hunger will be solved as soon as his group releases and decentralizes and puts on the blockchain and spreads all over the full information on the blockchain to build the blockchain. Old, to build an over unity device he says the problem is inventors create over unity devices and then they become like golem and the lord of the rings to say their invention is their precious and they want trillions of dollars for it but because they don't immediately release the blueprints to build it online at once, so it can't be erased from the internet, they get assassinated. I've never seen an over-Unity device. I've seen devices that come close to Unity, mm-hmm. but over-Unity? Like, that's fucking insane. Like, they claim that uh, owner over-Unity was achieved one or two years ago where they ran a plasma beam through tritium and uh, the tritium is what's allowing the multiplication and holding it together. Cause then the hydrogen energy kind of hydrogen cones in and they ran it through tritium and supposedly they achieved God. It seems like it was, it was a fairly substantial amount for like 15 seconds or something like that. But all these all these fucking free energy things when they're mm-hmm. claiming them when I, cause I do the, I, I work with these things all the time and they never have amperage. Like they always make claims and whenever you see them, they'll hold up a, a, a multimeter, you know, which right. I have a multimeter. I have a couple of them and then they'll show you volts and volts don't do anything. You need amps to do the work. The volts got to be there and the amps. And they'll show you voltage, and then magically they never show you amperage or wattage, which is the flow. You know mm-hmm. how much how much has passed over through this given point. Energy right. has passed through, and that never happens either. Like you're just showing me that the that the road is open. You're not showing me a car driving down it. So my analysis of this seems to be 
that people need to do work, physically move their body, lift something up, move it, set it down, build something. People, manual labor needs to happen to build things. Yeah. We're living in this yeah. world where people are convinced that wizards online can create their own blockchain, make their own currency, exchange it for USD, and then all of a sudden just become wealthy for not doing any physical labor. That's sort of this dream. Everybody's got a million dollar idea. Million dollar idea. Right. So Stephen Greer on the scene saying that the military, the United States military has access to these over unity devices combined with anti-gravitics so that they create over unity and anti-gravitics. He's got the whole yes. night. Yes. So UFO sightings. He's got in a jar. Farts in a jar. <laughs> Lightning in a bottle. Right. So this documentary, yeah. it's about, it's close to two hours, and it goes through this whole thing, setting up the history of over-unity devices. All of these scientists develop this technology. They fall into the pride and the hubris of saying, oh, I need the money. I need the money. And then they talk about the history of the military industrial complex system being the oil companies and exxon mobil and the energy companies having a huge monopoly on energy and suppressing all the free energy meaning over unity devices they're suppressing all that stuff and they're assassinating the people that are trying to break that business model and the United States government is implicit in the crime of creating poverty because they're not giving the people the overunity devices to then produce better crops and more energy out of nothing, essentially, to then feed everybody and bring economic equality to everyone everywhere. And then... He does continue to claim that, well, the military has created the UFOs, which UFO might stand for unfunded opportunity, meaning that it's a black budget thing, but they can't give it to consumers. So you cannot be a consumer, go to an airport and decide today, I want to ride in the UFO to Las Vegas and back to Minneapolis. No, we have to go on the 747s that use jet fuel, but maybe they don't actually use jet fuel. Maybe the airline companies are using over unity devices and inertia and stuff, but still charging the consumer as if we were paying for the fuel costs of the airplane. But this wait, sounds an more. awful lot like jets fly without fuel. Yeah, this sounds an awful sure, lot like that. Sure, sure. Yeah. But then he does not dismiss the possibility that extraterrestrial aliens from other star systems have visited Earth in their own over-unity anti-gravitic flying tic-tac devices, but that the United States military and industrialists have re-engineered uh, those, reverse-engineered them. 
to build their own, but they can't reveal it to the people yet. But what I really want to know the CE5 experience, which is a real thing. Obviously, that's from Area 51. Uh, the the reverse engineering, right? Okay. So what I want to know is is the brothel at the gate at Area Fifty One mm-hmm. is that alien chicks in there servicing humans, or is that uh-huh. where aliens go to get a hooker? Do they have anti gravitic beds that can move the person up and down so that the person doesn't have to be accused of having committed a sin because they were unmarried? So in a Mormon mythology, yeah. we could use the anti gravitics. It, it does seem so far outlandish and ridiculous, but Stephen Greer doubles down on the big lie of overunity free energy and says, yes, also the contact of the fifth kind where it's human initiated contact, meaning I can go sit in the desert and meditate and say, yes, yeah, I want to see the alien. I want to see, I want to see ET. I want to see the aliens. I want to see the lights in the sky, but that stuff somehow is still organic, magical, mystical, mental, but then he doubles down on the nuts and bolts materialist reality saying that the UAP UFO thing is in fact, yes, nuts and bolts, material metal of some kind that we don't have the technology to produce, but the aliens, the ETs, they produce it in a way that it just sort of manifests all at once. So there's no welds in it. So they just kind of go, boom, UFO is produced. They like they, they 3D print it, but it doesn't go like layer That's by layer. It just exists at once. That's handy. So there are no seams or welds. It's way easier than welding. Right. <laughs> so do it's they have most, to like nanu nanu or anything when they do it it is the most entertaining yeah. science fiction film presented as true documentary i've seen in a while so for that reason i recommend it it's a real head scratcher though uh, you know it, you it's keep getting away with that? almost like they uh <laughs> They take some of the worst uh, fantasies, you know, and then they propagate them themselves. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's very interesting. And how it, this guy, I mean, this guy even spoken in front of the fucking Senate, you know? Yes. Yes. And we should be angry about that, shouldn't we? Because <laughs> this guy's a total clown, maybe? Or is he serious? Or does he believe? Or is he part of the apparatus himself? Because he was a trauma surgeon or something. Yes, and like how would he? How would he even know all these things? Like being able to mentally, right. like I, I can even buy that if there was. He's some almost a religious figure at this point. That you could somehow mentally communicate, even though you're not good at it. You could like somehow get it to notice you, but it's uh-huh. not like he has conversations back and forth so how do you even know these other things and then how would you even know right. if that if, if you think that there's a bunch of government ones flying around how did you distinguish between the ones that are government and the ones that aren't like right, right. it's not he's, like any of those well he does share one instance where 
uh, military guy was testing the anti-gravitics, flying around a base, parked it on the road, and then another guy who wasn't um, wasn't in on the top secret covert project that was happening on his military base saw it. So then he reported that he saw a man in a military suit walk out of um, you know the the steps like there's an egg-shaped thing and then it just sort of opens up and there's steps there and then a human walks out shines his flashlight looks at his um anti-gravitic bell-shaped flying saucer craft thing waves at the guy gets back in his stairs come back up and it seals itself back up and there's no um there's no stitches there's no lines there's no seams and then he just whoosh, zips off. And then this guy has to go report it to his superior, his reporting officer, his commanding officer, to say, I think I saw, I think I saw a UFO, and I think I'm supposed to report this to you. And maybe they're all laughing at this guy. But maybe it was, I don't know. It, it's so far in the weeds with the anecdotes and the stories and the sort of world building in a negative way. But if Stephen Greer positions himself as a messiah of some kind because he's going to save the world from poverty and starvation once he can just find one of well, these yeah, he's gonna scientists. give out zero point energy shit right he's going to be the one within the next 10 to 20 years you know if you can stay alive that long 10 within 10 to 20 years Stephen greer's group will release the over Unity engine, the free energy thing, and it's going to change everything overnight. And then people are going to convert their vehicles to this thing and then not have to buy gasoline anymore. So he's already got this information, but it's going to take him 10 to 20 years to release it, is what he's saying. Well, he, no, he doesn't have the information because all the scientists get oh, assassinated before they give it to him. Right. He that's, doesn't that's, have it. He's just sure that they do. Correct. Yes. He's seen it. He's seen the demos. So he's letting us know that the demos are real. But I thought at some point this was like a commercial advertisement for solar panels and electrical vehicles. No, 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 no. Stephen Greer makes fun of uh, the Tesla truck and the batteries. He says those are bad. He says he says electric vehicles are bad and we should not be strip mining to get the materials to build batteries because we don't need batteries. We don't need to store the power. We just need to pull it out of the ether. And then the cars can drive themselves. They don't need to have gasoline anymore. It's they don't such need it's such a scrambling of the mind to watch this near two hour documentary to then end with a hopeful message saying that some scientist somewhere will give him the secret recipe to eternal life and free energy, <laughs> the Rosetta stone and the philosopher's stone. And I was not stoned enough to watch that entire movie. <laughs> Dr. Pex. But it's a hopeful message. The Unity Drive sounds like a comic book. Uh, right, right. An, that never, a... What's that? 
that was in a movie, wasn't it? I I always forget what it's called. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's yep. what it is. <laughs> oh, they have a Unity Drive. Yep. Hmm. Or is it the Unity Drive? Is it something else? I think it's a Jeffrey Epstein investment project. <laughs> I don't know where I've seen that face before. Oh, wow. No. He's breathtaking. <laughs> He's so brave and stunning. He's stunning. I think the other face was a modern Mona Lisa face. That's a little reveal for those who've stuck around this far in the weave to kind of see behind the scenes. The modern schizo posting. I did have some other art that we could appreciate here. I don't Ooh, know if I like this version. This version. We go back. This version. Oh yeah, that's cool. Maybe GIF it. Oh yeah, turn it into an NFT. Yeah. The blurry one makes me feel out of sorts. Uh huh. But in a good way. In a good way. In a good way. I had this other one too. Ooh. Still a work in progress. Paperclips. Paperclip font. I have this one version of it too. Project paperclip font. Mm-hmm. We'd, we'd love other people to help us with our art project. Yes. Make silly images and we'll put them in into the software and show them to people. Upload them on the spider's welcome web. Yeah, that's a good place for it. Some good campfire stories tonight we've shared. What a great show. I want to play a pen and paper role-playing game. Yes. Let's definitely do that. Might be maybe we should do do something live. Play a play a real game in front of a real audience. I don't know if I don't know if we can involve the audience in the game. That might be fun. It'd be something I to got, think about. I gotta say, I I just don't believe in free in uh, zero point energy or uh, over unity energy. I just don't. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> dumb sounding. Over unity, it would solve all the problems of life, and in a role playing game. There needs to be a system to keep the game fun. If every player is given an infinite money cheat and can go and buy the heaviest armor that make them invincible and they can never die, then fighting the dragon is so underwhelming when you could just look at the dragon and say, die. And now you have a death spell that instantly right. slays the dragon. Then there is no adventure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I do deny the possibility of uh, of uh, over unity. Um, even when you're looking at what a lot of people would consider free energy, the thing that they aren't taking into account is just because you didn't put in the energy doesn't mean somebody didn't did. So like uh, it, you take and you look at my YouTube, and uh, just recently I built a ram pump, and the idea behind behind the ram pump is is I don't have to put any electricity or anything. So a lot of people call that free energy, but it's not really free. The river's putting the energy into it. 
and I'm taking, there's a heavy loss that happens with that energy, but you're transferring the river's energy and using that to compress air and that through the air compression, you're transferring and storing that energy. And then through a series of valves, it forces it up through a way that it naturally wouldn't have went. And it's a brilliant, brilliant thing. And you're able to take and transfer a lot of energy without it costing you money to do so because the river's being your slave. And so that's not zero uh, over unity. And a lot of people don't think about that. With over unity, I have to achieve more energy than what was put in, no matter what source put it in. I Something put in one unit of power and somehow magically, without drawing it from anywhere, I achieve two units of power. And that I just don't believe in it. It, 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 it I don't believe that that can happen. It, it breaks too many laws. Uh, like I said, there's things that we might not understand where something might make a multiplication because it's drawing it from somebody somewhere else. But I don't I don't believe in over unity. You, you know, you can't make something out of nothing. No ex nihilo. Unless you're getting the energy from some other dimension we're not aware of. Like they say that right. the quantum computers work, but that's still coming from somewhere. Right. You're still drawing it from somewhere. It's just not from you, which is no different than being a slave owner and saying, fuck yeah, that thing went up no problem. Bam! Didn't hardly take me no energy at all. No like, sweat. Well, yeah. I mean, it cost <laughs> them slaves a whole lot. Well, like, yeah. hey. You know, so so that's not the same thing as over unity, and I just don't believe in over unity. So you built a ram pump. Oh yeah, I've been yeah. looking at them. How how high are you are you using it to pump water up up a hill? Well, the first one's only about a hundred feet, and then we got another one we're gonna try and build that's gonna have to go about I'm gonna say 350 feet ish. Um, do you and have the a way a drop? ramp pump, uh, a huge drop, huge drop. So you're, you're getting and lots of force out of that. Is that a handicap is accessible ramp? <laughs> so yes. with the ramp pump, what's going on is like for me is I've got a river and the river is coming down at about pretty damn close to a 45, uh, you know, so that's a substantial drop. For every seven feet of that, I or every uh, like five feet of that, I can push seven feet up. And so I've got to make my uh, my push tube, which is going to put pressure into the system enough with enough distance, so it has enough pressure to push up over the distance that I want it to push up at. And with those, it's a real impressive uh, deal. Because it takes and it converts that downward pressure from the river and it through us through a valve and allows that to go into an air bladder and air compresses where water doesn't water don't really want to compress and air compresses pretty easily. So it pushes that air down. Well, then that air wants to expand out because it just does this and it'll expand down quickly and not hold and try and push back right away. 
Well, when it pushes back, it hits another valve that stops it from going back up this system and forces it back up this way. And it doesn't push a whole lot at once. It's just not able to. But because it's running for free in 24 hours a day, like if I can get half a gallon, you know, a minute or quarter gallon, that's even a that's a ton. Yeah, that's a ton by the end of the day. Yeah. And so you pump it up into a large storage tank that's set up high and then gravity feed down to whatever building you need to put water to. Yeah, I was thinking about making one here at my house because I have a creek that runs through the backyard. And if I can get uh, is the drop isn't very far. It's only probably maybe two feet, depending on what time of year it is. But I could go 14 feet long on a two foot drop and I would have enough pressure to get at least up and out of the creek bed into into my garden. That was the plan. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be great. Those things don't take much. I've seen uh, the channel that I was watching that he does a ton of work on them. Does he make the, the kit? Make does he yeah, make he has a kit. kit. Yeah. yeah, I saw that guy. Yeah. He was just doing a five-gallon bucket like three feet in the air, 10 feet away, and it was driving it no problem. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. I guess my closing statements are in terms of thought about fantasy and fiction and uh, what's the difference between a science fiction world versus a more medieval, I guess, historical fantasy realm. And is the distinction really that important? Well, I, and the go ahead. Well, and then the, the, the science fiction is also less magical. It's more tech, technology right. so right. one set in a more futuristic world it's aliens spaceships laser guns mm -hmm. blah 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 fantasy books is dragons knights swords right and they have their own technologies that are maybe not digital or computer technologies so if we were to right. take stephen greer's uh, mm -hmm. ideas at face value and take them seriously and then write a movie script or a book based off of that science fiction world in which America has access to free energy, but then keeps the rest of the world poor. Well, there'd be a conflict right there for you. That'd be interesting to explore. But then I'm thinking, is there value in that story if it's never going to actually happen? So if you're focusing on a story where the the thing, the one thing that's different between our world and the story of the science fiction fantasy world is that over unity free energy devices exist in our science fiction world. Well, then does that set up a kind of Star Trek space exploration thing? And that's where I was going with the contact of the fifth kind, CE5, Stephen Greer, the Lost Century documentary. His trajectory with the information he's putting out there is saying that, yes, humans will have access to these devices, which will rocket us into space. So we will be a space-faring and colonizing right. 
civilization saying that we will go to Mars and we will set up cities in Mars. But the reason we haven't done that yet is because, wait for it, wait for it, we're still an angry, warring people. Look at America. They're having a civil war right now. Look at the Ukraine. Look at Russia. Look at Tibet. America, man. Those guys are violent. We need to rein in America's violent tendencies, reduce their military, get rid of nuclear weapons, and then we can release the free energy devices so they won't be used for war, but they will be used to unite civilization under one leadership, and then we will have enforced world peace, and then we can go to the stars. So if that propaganda doesn't perk up your ears and... Light a fire under your buns and get you to stand up and do something about it. I mean, are we ever going to travel to the moon and then land on it and have a vacation on the moon? Are we going to go to Mars and land on it and walk around on it and give birth to new people on Mars and have a Martian colony? Is that even possible? No, I don't know. <laughs> I would say I would personally say not. I think it's ridiculous, and I I do agree with what rules uh, what rule asks there. While I don't agree with uh, uh, over unity, can we be more efficient with our uh, with our power systems now? Absolutely, like absolutely, we could be running off much more efficient power systems, but like even. Even something like the ram pump all kinds of people could employ that in the world but then also i can guarantee you already i'm gonna have to go down and like every three days something's gonna clog it or some such thing leaves and it. it's gonna take yeah leaves in it whatever it's gonna take fairly consistent maintenance um you know just grit and dirt it got caught in the valve and i'm gonna have to take it all off and blow the whole system out the whole nine and that's that. That's the thing with the world that we live in today. Everybody uh, trades out convenience. It, it, not those free things are there, but free is a misnomer. That means I'm not paying money for it, but I'm I am paying energy. I do have to maintain it, build it, do all those things. Um, paying attention. Well, yeah, it, it's. Right, and we have those things available. People just don't want them. It just takes it back to the talk free, that we had a few weeks ago. free wealth without a cost and without a consequence and without pushback. There's not going to be a transition to everybody all of a sudden has all the resources, and now we have world peace. Yeah, it's all transactional. You know, I could say I get free food from my cherry tree, but it's not free. I got to plant the thing and water it and love it and keep the birds if off of it. you pass it down to your children, it would essentially be in a way a free source of food for them because yeah. they didn't do the work. It's a reversed compound interest of food. Uh -huh. 
Right. But to not but be thankful for that. It, if they don't maintain it, then it's gone the next generation. Yeah. You know? Uh, and, and we're seeing that so often in our world today where mm-hmm. that's one of the biggest mm-hmm. things with the baby boomer generation. They Those tend to take their covered wood floors with linoleum. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. And then they took their wealth and at the end of their lives, you know, they did things like reverse mortgages and shit like that. So they could go out and sit in a fucking casino and, you know, ding, 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 you know, and do shit like that. And now there's no uh, family wealth amongst the citizenry of the United States anyways. Uh, but some of the people still practice those kind of things, but not even very many, even a lot of the larger families uh-huh. are falling apart like that. Like you watch, uh, just recently there's that whole, uh, scandal with the, what the fuck is his name? The guy that, uh, played the Lone Ranger and Johnny Depp. a few other Disney movies. No, 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 not the guy that actually, no, the other guy, he was Tonto. Johnny Depp was Tonto. Oh. The white, the white hat guy. I never saw that movie. I didn't see the movie. I don't know. Anyone in chat? No. Anyways, that guy, he's actually uh, the son of, he was the 13th wealthiest uh, person in the world at one point Mm -hmm. in time. Uh, Owned a giant oil company. Uh, And now that whole family's kind of falling apart and all that. is dividing out and this uh they showed the pictures of the dad the dad was hanging out with the fucking uh king charles prince charles at the time um all kinds of people like that you know all the biggest wealthiest you know most powerful and he was sitting right there when prince charles gave that whole speech about how do people expect us to get anything done without money and, you know, he was sitting there literally just a couple places down and he just laughed his ass off because that's how he was maintaining much of his power. And even that kind of fam- even those kind of families are falling under and uh, the the kids are, you know, completely disenfranchising from the families. Right. So this great reset seems to be bringing everybody closer to zero, zero inheritance, zero net worth zero value devaluing everything deindustrializing the wealthiest nations so it's distributing the future evenly to everyone making everyone suffer and not have any access to resources and not being able to do anything starving them out as a global holodomor to then purge useless eaters who have been expecting the free lunch all along and in a solution oriented final, final closing statement, addendum to my other closing statement earlier. (laughs) There are real ways to be more efficient, to go off grid, to build your food forest, to have a little bit of land, to work the land and reap the benefits of doing so. Yeah, don't wait for over unity 
to make the world the world that you want to see. Yeah. Because you'll just you'll just die before you see it. And we want you to live to see the uh, what is it double cycle cicadas this summer. <laughs> yeah, live through it. There's a lot of exciting stuff happening. Well, your grandkids. More exciting than Haley's Comet. Oh, yeah. And more rare. Yeah, Haley's Comet's, what, every 70 years or 75 or something like that? Yeah, 76. So every 50. Yeah, something like that. Mm -hmm. Did you guys see it the last time? I was looking for it, but I think I was yeah. facing the wrong way. I didn't no, see I it. saw it last time. I saw Comet Neowise a few years ago. I remember uh, as I was watching it, my great-grandma was still alive, and I remember being real impressed uh, in her lifetime. You know, she had, she had seen it a couple times. That's cool. So, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we so might see it again. Those cl those climate crisis actors can't keep getting away with it. Someone needs to push back and say that's dumb. <laughs> that is dumb. <laughs> you still right. see people arguing about the rising sea levels in literally Plymouth right. Rock, the rock right. that they supposedly stepped on when they landed here, is mm -hmm. still sitting there. It's it's got a little fence around it. You can go visit it. It's still yeah. above water, like. That was the rock a couple hundred years ago, 250 years ago. They supposedly Can you smell stepped on what it's cooking. You know, I did not. You know, I, Brian, can you smell what the Plymouth Rock is cooking? <laughs> I've never been to it. I, this, I have to take Brian, Brian's word on this. He left. Apparently, you cannot smell what the, the Plymouth Rock is cooking. He has often said, though, it is the most disappointing thing you could ever visit. It is just a shitty little rock. And Badger is also from that area and concurs. It's not even a good rock. You're like, why am I looking at this fucking rock? It's just a little rock. rock yeah, it's not even big. Right now. <laughs> so, yes, get your over-unity devices and fly out to see what the Plymouth Rock is cooking. And then live on in our minds like a Nephilim. Dr. Nephilim might be our guest sometime. Dr. Nephilim. We love you. Good night.